You are listening to the iFanboy All Media Year End Roundup, brought to you by iFanboy listeners just like you. Fanboy 2013 All Media Year and Roundup. My name is Connor Kilpatrick, and I'm here with, for the first time on an All Media Show, Paul Montgomery. Woo! And sitting in for Josh Flanagan is Mike Romo. Ha! I feel like we should explain. Right? Ooh, uh, ha. Explain. We we are of course very happy to have Mike here, but also hey. saddened to not have Josh here. Sorry. Uh, the reason Josh is not here has nothing to do with Mike. It is that in preparation for the show, we discovered Josh is almost comically removed from society at this point. Josh chose family. <laughs> Josh chose poorly. Has not even heard of half the movies we're going to talk about, so we decided it wasn't even it was pointless to have him on the show. So we brought Mike in. Thank you, Mike, for coming in. Yeah, well, it's a pleasure. Um, and we are a fanboy. And we like comics. We read comics, and but we also love lots of other things. And so every like we've done every year since two thousand six, uh, we're going to talk about movies and TV shows and music and video games and books and comics and all kinds of fun stuff that we enjoy. Operettas. In addition, we're doing operettas. Novellas. Plays my email. Do you guys poetry? What's some hot poetry? <laughs> all right. Well, it's gonna be a long one. Buckle up. <laughs> uh, so we're gonna talk about all the stuff we like beyond comics, and then a little bit of comics in this year, 2013. And so before we get to the show, quick reminder and a warning: this is a, sort of a review show. Uh, there may be spoilers. I think we're gonna try not to spoil major things because some yeah. people watch you know, uh, movies no. on Netflix or TV. Talk shows about things or, sort of vaguely. Try vaguely. to talk around them. We'll, we'll do our best. Uh, to not spoil things, but we don't make no promises. So if you're really worried about that, you might want to uh, be careful. Use the show, utilize those show notes. That's why we write them. That's why we spend time doing them. So uh, skip past those parts if you don't want to be spoiled. We'll kick things off with the movies segment. We are big movie fans, and uh, the tough part about doing the show always is that we record, you know, in early December, and you miss a lot of those big prestige releases. Uh, so you won't hear us talking about things like The Wolf of Wall Street. Or uh, what else is coming out that's big that I... The, well, you saw it, but the uh, Mr. Banks one. Right. So, well, we're going to talk fun. about that one in a second, but there's a bunch of... I haven't had, I haven't had a chance to see The Hobbit yet, mm. you know. Um, yeah. So films like that, you know, you, you may be wondering why. You may be listening to this show later in the month, but we're recording earlier in the month. That's why you don't hear us talking about those shows. Yeah. Those movies. So we're going to start with uh, The Hunger Games Catching Fire, the second movie in The Hunger Games trilogy. And I... Uh, well, I'm, there's four. There's going to be that's four true, of them. You're right. There's going to be We're four. Yeah. The third one into two, but oh, um, there, there are three books. Yes, that's correct. And I was a big fan of the first two Hunger Games books, and not a big fan at all of the first Hunger Games movie. In fact, I went to this movie very reluctantly. Oh, really? Okay. Against my yeah. uh, against my wishes, and ended up absolutely loving it. I thought this film was wonderful. Where it was everything the first film wasn't, and uh, really just I loved the heck out of it. It felt like it had a lot of breathing room, especially in the beginning, before you get to the actual games. And so there are some stakes when you get to the games. Um, as for the books, I read the first two books. Um, the biggest problem with the books, I think, is that they're in they're written in the, the uh, first person, and I think they should be written in the third person. Right. Um, because then you get into a lot of like like navel gazing kind of like um, 
you know, show yeah, but you know, with this guy, young whatever. adult, though. Well, yeah, I mean, that's, but that's what the audience tends well, to like. Well, no, it? but there, I mean, there are really smartly written young adult books. I mean, I'd, I'd say like go read Shipbreaker, which is sort of for a similar age group, um, but I think is written much, much better. Um, but it's Mike, still, it's they're fun, they're fun. For Mike, the biggest problem with the books is you have to read them in order. Well, the thing is, they're not clearly numbered, folks. Um, <laughs> How did, what, did, what did you do? Well, I, had, I, I was reading the book. I was reading what I thought was the second book. And uh, boy, I was like, wow, this is some really aggressive storytelling. I hope there's a, a flashback coming up. Oh, and I was telling Whitney what was going on. She's like, uh, yeah, you're reading the third book. So I got the first part, then read the second part, pretended it was a very complex flashback. And then... <laughs> <laughs> went on. Uh, I thought I thought this movie was terrific. Uh, again, again, uh, she can do no wrong. I, I think Jennifer Lawrence. Um, Jennifer Lawrence. We're, we're supposed to call her J Law now. No, we're not. But um, <laughs> no, what was amazing to me is like you know she 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 really is sort of this really great central the soul of the books and, and in the movies. I think she's even better. I think she's just fantastic, and it's like everybody keeps piling on the praise for her, but it's so well deserved. And I love the world. I loved. uh, There's a part when they come out to uh, see each other for the first time in front of all their adoring fans, and it's just these two mechanical cameras. And I I I remembered. Oh wow! I really like this world. Um, So it's a it's a really good movie. I was really surprised. I liked it way better than the first movie, and uh, it was great. It's um, it's a really good second movie uh, of in terms of the arc. And uh, I think really you can good almost see it if you haven't seen the first one. Mm. Yeah, you could I mean, totally. You're, you're yeah, you could totally could, but I mean, why not? It's you know. Well, because then you have to put yourself through the first one. I I, I enjoy the first, the first one. You can watch it's once. That bad. Yeah. Well, let's, um, let's talk about a film you guys both absolutely have been raving about all year. Pacific Rim. I really liked it. Yeah, Pacific, Pacific Rim. Rim. This is this is kind of, I don't know. This is like my feel good movie of the year. I love this movie. This is uh, all the stuff that I grew up on: giant yes. monsters, giant robots, and it's it. You know, it has this feel to it that. It it's not taking itself too seriously, but it's also not like a pastiche. It's not like you know, like Power Rangers or something. No. It's it's just uh, it's big bombastic action. I love Guillermo del Toro. Um, uh, he's I, he's one of my favorite just storytellers overall, not just filmmakers. And uh, he put out a book this year of like all behind the scenes stuff, this like cabinet of curiosities kind of thing, and, and that's kind of great too. And uh, but this is you know it's the kaiju versus the Jaegers. I, I I thrilled to it when you know before the movie even starts, they put up in like yellow, in like green sort of like DOS, you know, on on a black screen kind of print. You know what a Jaeger is, what a kaiju yeah. is, and that's all you need to know going in. Well, they give you a prologue which tells you about you know the first impact sort of uh, kaiju day and everything and and uh this is just thrilling exuberant action movie set pieces over and over um i was pumping my fists i was what i saw it i saw it two times in theaters the second time somebody was getting up and leaving to go to the restroom at the absolute worst possible time because <laughs> i knew what was coming next there's a sword moment just saying uh you you know what did i'm talking about him? did you stop him i was just like Ugh! paul tackled him Luckily, they came back just in time for it, oh, yeah, and yeah, yeah. they were and they were loving it and clapping their hands. And Idris yeah. Elba, come on, awesome! No, great, super earnest. If you grew up with anime in your life, it's like it hit all the right notes. Yeah, um, I, I just there's, it, I just loved it. I, I have it at home, and it's uh, eminently rewatchable. It's big, silly, but but direct and not not dumb. It's just it's just I had a great time with it. Um, 
my surprise uh, movie for me in, was The Wolverine yeah. uh, because I didn't think I was going to like it at all. Based and on what? Just the other, the X Men Three, I think, yeah. and the other Wolverine movie. Okay, I just, well, that is good. That is a good. Those are both good reasons. I was just kind of tired of the character. I just, just got. I just, I felt fatigued just even seeing the posters, mm-hmm. and um, which were awesome. I, the posters, they're really jock great. posters. Yeah. It's cool seeing a jock image, you know, on a on a Blu-ray. Oh, oh! See, I was uh, the 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 ink brush treatment yeah. is jock. Oh, that's cool! I didn't know that. But um, I was just I really I liked the smaller moments, the character moments in it. I loved being in Japan. I loved the way the city looked. There were some re- the stakes were nice. I, I think it kind of falls apart at the end with the battle with the the samurai, silver samurai. That's right, right. right? Yep. But um, otherwise, I think it was for me. I was just. Happy to see them actually do a really fun, g- good character piece with such a challenging character. So um, definitely worth renting if you haven't seen it. But I, I, up, in, up until the Thor movie, this was the best superhero movie of the year, um, and I was definitely not expecting that. Yeah, um, I, total yeah. Surprise. But I, I agree with you that sort of that there's some third act problems. But uh, I, I'm I'm glad to see that Mangold's com- is probably coming back for another one of these. Oh, Hopefully, good. yeah, they're talking about doing another one because yeah, like, Hugh Jackman is yeah. iffy, but you know they got to get the right story. But he doesn't want to. He's, he's got the Thor problem. He doesn't want to go through that diet exercise routine that requires tough. you to get that body. And he's you know way older than Hel- than Helmsworth is. So, mm-hmm. but he's a very good uh, Wolverine. I mean, he's a really good Logan. It's just it's those are hard characters to play um, seriously, and uh, just a real. I thought he did a really elegant job with it. So. I love the World War II stuff at the beginning. <laughs> yeah, really it's good. great. So now Mike mentioned earlier that you know there are some films we do get to see. Mike and I live in Los Angeles and get to go to some early early screenings. And I went to a screening of Saving Mr. Banks, which is a, you know basically it's a tale of two films. It's I told this to Mike a couple weeks ago. It's <laughs> it's a Disney movie about a Disney movie starring Walt Disney. So you have to take that into consideration when you're when you're t- thinking about it. It uh, it's a fable. It's a it's, it's a movie about the making of Mary Poppins. One of my one of my all time favorite Disney movies. I watched it as a kid over and over and over again. And uh, a really sweet and unexpected film. I, did, I, I purposely didn't read too much into it before going to see it. I wanted to be surprised by the story. And uh, it, it's a, it's, if you don't know, it's the story of P.L. Travers, the writer of the Mary Poppins books, going to California in the 60s to uh, be swayed to giving her book rights to Walt Disney to make this movie. And she doesn't want to do it. And it's them, them trying to convince her to do it while flashing back to her life and seeing the inspiration for the characters because all those characters are based on her, her childhood. And uh, really sweet, great performances from Tom Hanks as Walt Disney and uh, Emma Thompson as P.L. Travers. And, you know, yeah, obviously, you know, it didn't, it doesn't, it's not exactly how it happened in terms of uh, the ending and in, in, in what she really thought of the movie. And, but uh, as a film. So, like, like Disney is in kind of a, not the most reliable na- uh, narrator, you know, the most reliable perspective. Well, and in I, was this. Think, I, I read up on it afterwards and, and I was thinking about it. And it's, it's presented at the end when she goes to the, to the premiere in such a way that. It works on multiple levels. It works in the real world, and that she doesn't really in the real world she didn't really love the film, right? But her reaction to the movie can be taken as her reaction to something else, which is built up in the movie. And I don't want to, I don't want to re- reveal too much. Okay. So it, it can work on multiple levels, but uh, just as a as a as a Disney drama, that's sort of an adult. I mean, it's sort of an adult drama. It was sort of shocking that Disney made this movie. It's not, mm. you know, it's not really, you know, it's not a kids movie. It's not not for kids, but it's also a, adult. It's a movie about adults and their problems and uh, my, really interesting my aunt is crazy go nuts for colin farrell she's been talking about this movie for months and i said yeah, yeah i'll go see it with you so we're gonna go see it later this I week i think you'll so. enjoy it yeah. um, especially any, anyone who loves mary poppins will, will love this movie 
Who doesn't love Mary Poppins? Uh, the She's music, a time lord. The music's all through. <laughs> she is a time lord. The music is all throughout <laughs> the film, and uh, really, I, I really loved it more than I thought I would. Good. That's um, cool. Really good. All right, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna cheat a little bit. Uh, Contiki is technically a 2012 film, but it didn't come stateside un- until this year. That's fine. Um, this Except is. It's a it's a Norwegian film. They actually the, they shot this movie, and it's a huge film for for Norway. And they it's uh, it's about a, an expedition in 1947 by uh, Thor Heyerdahl, scientist, uh, 4,300 nautical mile journey uh, from across the Pacific from Peru to Polynesia to prove that um, the people actually who, who live in Polynesia came from Peru and made that journey on balsa wood rafts. So he so he and the, and this this crew of five back in the 40s, made this raft to the specifications that they thought that this group would have um, years and years and years ago. Um, and they did it, and they go across the Pacific. And what's really interesting, you can watch this film. You can probably watch it on Netflix still. Um, and it's in, you know, they, they filmed it in their own language, and then they filmed a take in English. So there's wow. two different cuts of the movie, but it's not like it's dubbed <clears throat> into English. It's they so actually they would, do, they would do one scene and then another. They would just do two takes. They said, "Yeah, let's let's do it," you know, in the language that we grew up with, and now let's do it in English, and <laughs> so that you know, it, so it can get a uh, you know a broader base. And um, it's you know, it's one of those human spirit kind of films. It's a it's a it's a story about adventure. There's sharks in it. I love it's, it. It's, <laughs> it's five dudes going across the Pacific. I thought it was and, very Disney esque. You know, pairing yes. it with Mr. Banks, it, it felt that kind of old school triumph of the human spirit type movies. You know, yeah. Like, and there's this moment where they're sleeping, they're laying on their backs, looking up at the stars, and it gets like really transcendental. It's like you know, we are made of stars and stuff, and it's very beautiful and awe inspiring. And uh, I, th- I think it's uh, you know, it's something that you should really uh, seek out. It's a great movie. Spe- I really liked it. Speaking of uh, human spirit and all that kind of stuff, my surprise film by far for the year uh, was Rush. Uh, I freaking loved this movie. I, I was dragged into it. We were going, it was guys night out and they all wanted to see a movie in which I thought was ridiculous, but it turned Thor out driving to, race cars. I mean, and no, I know. Well, the thing is the poster, I didn't even recognize him in the poster. It was just, I don't know what it was. I thought it was him, but I didn't know what it was. And I, I really didn't know anything about the movie at all. I, I vaguely knew about, was about racing. Um, but for me, I had I don't know much about Formula One. I but you know the mid mid seventies is a great time to shoot any kind of period film. Yes, yes. And uh, yeah, yeah. I don't know if you guys saw it, but it was I mean Connor, you saw it, but uh, really exciting, really great. It's something you know if you live in Europe, you're probably used to it. You already knew the story, but I was completely ignorant of it. I had no idea just how crazy these people were, and the fact that it's based on two real guys and their friendship and, and their, their story uh, just real nailed it for me. It was, it was a th- real surprise. It was an enthralling, I don't want to say action movie or even sports movie. It was just a, I thought it was a drama about obsession. Oh, yeah. you know, like, oh that's a good way to put it. Like these, these, two different, these two different race car drivers locked in this competition with each other, but they are both obsessed in different ways about different things. What I like is that yeah, first you think it's going to be you know you're voting for Thor like you're on the he's a good guy and the other guy is the bad guy but it turns out that it's really a very balanced story yep. and uh, you just end up experiencing this thing without really you experience it really appreciating both sides of the story so that's that's a that's a kind of a good trick. I Ron think. Howard's a really underrated director and I think mm. this is one of his best movies. It might be his, yeah. I love Apollo thirteen but it's right up there with the, with that one. 
And if you think, if you think of it's like it's a racing movie and you hate racing movies, uh, it's it's so much more than just that, really. I think Formula One movies needed a win after Iron Man Two, so <laughs> this is this is important. Ouch! Uh, have either of you guys watched the Before series? I have seen the other two, and I'm bummed I, I didn't get a chance to see it before uh, see this one before uh, the show. So before How was Midnight it? came out this year, and it's the third film in the uh, I don't want to say b- Before trilogy because they're talking about continuing to do it every ten years. Yeah, but uh, it's the uh, Before Sunrise, Before Sunset, Before Midnight. And it's the story of these. Two people played by Ethan Hawke and Julie Delpy who have been – in the first movie they meet when they're in their 20s. They meet in Paris on the train and they have this wonderful day together. The second movie, they reconnect in their 30s. Now here they are in their 40s and it's it, amazing. These are, these are like pure indie filmmaking in, in that, you know, there's just I, – I was tracking this movie and there was like five scenes in it because they're so oh, really? long and in-depth. Mm. They just allow they allow the conversations to play out. There's this one long conversation in this movie they have while they're driving that must go on for 15 minutes. And in, in what you get to do in those scenes is you get to really explore relationships, and it's almost painful. Well, it is painful to watch because it is, you know, these aren't movie talks; these are real sort of, you know, we've been together for 20 years and and uh, we we have our problems and we love each other, but we seriously have some serious problems in our relationship discussions and brutal but amazingly performed. Uh, it, it's just I, I, if you have never seen these movies, get them all. Watch the watch all three. And just watch the almost unprecedented way they get to explore a relationship through the years. It must be really cool to see those actors over time and see them coming back to these characters. I mean, this is it's a really a kind of a great experiment in filmmaking that we all get to experience at the same time. It's, so it's, that's it's cool. really amazing that they get to do yeah. this. And you know, I mean, it's not even like you get to do that on TV. You know, TV shows don't go for twenty years usually anymore, yeah. and you don't get to see that that evolution in the characters like you do with these films and yeah it's really really just i was enthralled by this entire the entire film this is really kind of bittersweet too like if you see you know the you know the first two like you know just feel like maybe end it here or no 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 not at all no it's not like they break up or anything it's just it's it's real relationships are difficult you know you have your ups and downs and nothing's perfect it's not the movies and this is what they portray and you know, they they have a good night out, and it turns bad because one of them says something stupid, and they have, end up having a thirty minute argument about it. And you know, that's that's what life's like sometimes. <laughs> yeah. Um, so as Mike laughs uncomfortably, but <laughs> um, really amazing. If you love that, if you love sort of dialogue, character driven movies, Before Midnight was one of the best I saw this year. Awesome. Um, my big surprise this year was Frozen. I'm so Start- pissed I didn't see this. Yeah, me too. Start- started hearing about this movie and people saying, like, this is the best Disney musical since, you know, The Lion King or Beauty and the Beast. And it's like that level. And I'm like, I hadn't even heard about that this was coming out. And, you know, usually you hear about the long production of, you know, whatever the next Pixar movie is or the next yeah. Disney movie is. And I either, like, forgot about it or, or it just came out of nowhere for it me. It came but- out of nowhere. Yeah, it totally yeah. I mean, that's that's really what it felt like. But it's it's so good, and it surprised me. Um, you know, and wh- when can you say that about like a Disney, ostensibly a Disney princess movie that you watch the movie and you had no idea it was going that way? That's true. It, there's actually a moment where everyone, kids, adults in the audience, just gasped, and I don't want to give it away, but Damn it. um, it's Kristen Bell and Adina Menzel. Um, I'm a huge fan of both of them. I, I I love Broadway musicals, and you know, Adina Menzel is you know huge, and 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 I love her in Rent and everything like that. This is a this is 
it, it's a it's very similar to her to her wicked role and very misunderstood character with a big sort of diva ballad and and that's wonderful. Kristen Bell it might surprise a lot of people has a fantastic singing voice. She's wow. actually trained um, in in uh, in Broadway musicals. Um, she she was in Reefer Madness, feature film of the uh, right. You know, t- taking on that that old uh, Hollywood scare kind of film, and right. she was great in that. And she's uh, she's wonderful here, and uh, uh, just a a fantastic surprise. So this is where not knowing about a film coming out hurt me because I didn't yeah. know anything about it. And I got invited to a screening of it, and I just I turned it down because I, I was like I didn't know anything about it, and I you know. Like There's still time. There's still time. It's doing. It's doing well. Oh, no, I'm, I'm gonna, gonna go see well. the theater. Yeah. It think, was the I number two God. movie of the box office only because the Hobbit came out. So check it yeah. out. It's a great holiday yeah. movie. Uh, related to Frozen uh, has to be the the icy space drama uh, Gravity, which is almost less a movie and more an experience. Yes, I agree. But with that. Uh, yeah. truly, what an experience! And one of those films that I'm I was pleased to be able to recommend people see in 3D. Um, yep. There's a wonderful. Uh, it's Corone, right? Is that how you say his name? Um, Alfonso Cuaron, yeah. Yeah, the way Cuaron. he shoots this movie is spellbinding. Uh, the very, you know, we're so used to these quick opening movies uh, that really get to the point. And for the first couple of minutes, you're just staring at the earth and your eyes are adjusting to the darkness and this wonderful blue marble. And then the space station comes into view and it's just like, all right, I'm in space. <laughs> it's really everything and, comes to you in that shot. Yeah, it's amazing. It's, well, and I, I guess it's a, it's a conglomerate of shots that they make it look like one long thing, I imagine. Oh, I mean, just the way it, it's. However, they do it. And it, it I can't wait to see like, like behind the scenes stuff. Honestly. Absolutely. Well, the production, I heard an interview with one of the producers on the business from KCRW, and they, uh, you know, they had, to, they had to do a lot of crazy technology to make this thing work. And, and you know, Sandra Bullock, uh, really was a go-getter on this one. I mean, she I she is... I can't imagine how difficult it was for her to shoot Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, and she, she is basically by herself. And <laughs> if you are at all claustrophobic, don't see this movie. I saw it. <laughs> it was... It's pretty it's I've pretty had that rough. conversation with people. I was like, you better... Yeah, you, <laughs> at least watch it at home, you know, when yeah. you stop and take a break. But It's, 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 it's pretty incredible. I mean, I, I can see some people's... You know, it, it's... It's not your typical movie. It's almost like they pressed record. I mean, it doesn't take place in true real time, but it kind of feels that way. Yeah. Um, it, but it, it's a real experience, a real thrill ride, and I, I just, I really, really enjoyed it. And uh, it's really, and it's good Clooney too. It's, it's, it's. I, I thought I had a lot of fun with it. I think, I think this and Pacific Rim were like the best IMAX experiences of the year. Oh, yeah, those yeah. are the two that I would like feel like you have to see those in IMAX. And oh, that would have been good. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that would have been good. It's not in 2013. I'm going to keep beating the drum for the Lone Ranger, despite no one else but me liking it, which is fine. I don't care. I still uh, haven't seen this, but I, I, I want either. you because I know you loved it. I keep. Uh, I was very excited to, even today to get their uh, email saying my DVD had shipped, so I'll, I'll, I'm very excited wow. to have that in my house. Um, I'm a big Lone Ranger fan, and I was ex- I was excited to go to this, and it's basically, Paul, very similar to my reaction to the John Carter, another okay. film that people, for me, inexplicably hated that I loved. It feels very much like a throwback old action-adventure movie. It's not perfect, even though I gave I do, it... I do have a soft spot for John Carter. I yeah. gave it like a... I, gave I have it, it at a, home. A big five-star review, but it's not perfect. It's got, there's some wonky things to it, but it's, it's an action thrill ride from the beginning to the end, and... You know, they could have, this could have gone very wrong, and I certainly did for some people. But to, you know, they really did nail the complex sort of. You know, Lone Ranger can be hokey. He's he's a guy in a mask, and he's riding around with a white hat. He's got an Indian partner, and 
and it doesn't really work in the modern times, but it, it really is that old Hollywood sad, summer action film. And there's a well, is, I mean, is it like the first Pirates movie? I mean, I love the first yes. Pirates of the yes, Caribbean. Yes, it's a great movie. Great, terrific movie. And I even, I even enjoy the, the, the second and third. I mean, they're not, they're, you know, it's, the it's diminishing returns. But I mean, it's funny, cool. but it's also, there's a little bit of heartbreak in it. Um, I mm. thought there's a great framing sequence for the film. Um, I really, I was so unexpectedly blown away by how much I had fun at The Lone Ranger. Good to know. So if you if you like that kind of thing, I love and I love westerns. I love movies where uh, the the hero has a horse as a friend. <laughs> you can never go wrong like, like like Tangled and and that movie and yeah, it's there's you know Phantom. You should, you should make a top ten horse friend movie list. The Phantom man, he has oh, yeah. a wolf and a horse that are his friend. They're great. Yeah. So uh, from up on Poppy <laughs> Hill, this was this year was kind of a heartbreaker for uh, Miyazaki fans because uh, Hayao Miyazaki. Who did uh, you know Nausicaa, the Valley of the Winds? Um, what else? Uh, Princess Mononoke, uh, Howl's Moving Castle, Laputa, Spirited Away. Uh, uh, yeah, Laputa Castle in the Sky is my favorite. Um, announced that he is retiring. He's done that before, but he's getting up there. But you know, good news. He's 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 working on a samurai manga. So which he hasn't worked in, on manga since Nausicaa, no. the Valley of the Winds. So wow. anyways, yeah. his he wrote, and then his son Goro Miyazaki directed from up on poppy hill which is less fantastical but a very very whimsical film about two kids who fall in love and it, they might be brother and sister so it's it's a, it's a it's an uplifting almost incest movie um it's <laughs> it's it, it, it's it's sort of a spo- they're, well, that's they're what not, star wars is they end up not really and but that and that's that's sort of a spoiler but like that, that I, don't, is a spoiler. I don't i don't <laughs> it's not sort of yeah. yeah, it is because it's like the very end they find out, but it's sort of like, oh, okay, cool. So we can we can date now, um, but it's uh, it, I don't know. It's it's just a it's a great feel good movie and just very innocent and fresh and and something like not cynical at all, um, which is what I love about Miyazaki. And so it it makes me hopeful that um, you know Goro can continue on the family tradition and make some great uh, studio uh, Ghibli movies. So uh, that's it's a, it's a hard that's a hard word to say in English. I think it's Ghibli. Ghibli, uh, yeah. Studio Ghibli. Uh, so yeah, um, Mike. Yeah. Just talking speaking about the movie is going to make me cry. So yeah, <laughs> speaking uh. of not being cynical, um, I don't usually go and see romantic comedies, but um, Ben Simpson uh, was really excited about time about about time, and I went and saw it. And wow, I was really really touched by this movie. Uh, that is a funny. You know, you think about time traveling and romantic comedy, and you automatically you, you have an image in your head of a time film. And, yeah, and this is not that film. And this it's is a, a Richard Curtis film. Yeah, I love Richard Curtis. I'm so mad I missed this. I want I want to see um, this. So. And the thing, it's, the thing, it's, it's great. It is, it is a time traveling romantic comedy, but the thing is, it's not about what you think it's about, and you don't realize right. what it's actually about until the very end. And it's a movie where, first of all, I think it's probably my top five of the year. But second. Yeah. I was uh, a block and a half from the theater talking about it, and I started crying again. Oh, <laughs> like, it, but it's good. It's it, it's, it's not. It's just it's it's a full movie. It's a it's very disarming emotionally. Um, I didn't mean to interrupt you, Connor, but no, I, no, I, it's, it's, it, I it, it, it 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 comes back to you days later, where you're like, just you you're just shaking your head. How and, much and Bill Nye is there? There's a is, lot. Is, it's there is really, a lot. I didn't. Really I couldn't tell if it was like he's, it's no. A, he's the best. Tonight. It's the best. It's my favorite actor of all time. You, well, you, I don't know why you didn't see this, Paul. This was the best. I know. Movie. It was just. Uh, 
Maybe there's still time. Maybe it's still playing. I don't know. Oh, and what's her? What's her? I'm, I'm the Rachel name McAdams? of the female. Yeah, she's terrific in it. She's sort of your go-to romantic comedy uh, actress. Uh, I guess originally Zoe Deschanel was supposed to be the lead, and the movie would not be nearly, no, uh, I, I think, think as, as great if it was her. She, she's, I love her, but she's, she's, she's fine. But yeah, she's great, but she Completely brings her different. own kind of thing. Yeah. But um, and the Weasley, great the cast. Weasley, Weasley lead was really good. One of the grown-up Weasleys. Um, yeah, it was. Really it was good. Richard Curtis's. Best film, I th- I think Love Actually will remain my favorite, but right. it's his best film by far. Oh, wow. Yeah. Okay, cool. London's uh, a great character oh, in it. Um, it's a great – if you ever spend any time in England, London, Europe, you really uh, get a sense of the everyday uh, uh, moments in, in places like that. And that's – I love – there's lots of little moments and there's a lot of humor. And like uh, Connor says, you just – you think about it and you start bursting into tears. So there's that. <laughs> wonderful, wonderful, wonderful movie. Um, so I just saw this uh, on Saturday night, Connor. I'm glad you put it on the list. I think that David O. Russell right now is working on a different level than other directors in Hollywood. Because considering wow. his last films were The Fighter, Silver Linings Playbook, and now American Hustle, which uh, which we which is just coming out now. We saw it uh, early. It it it's hard to describe. I, I read a review of it saying uh, David O. Russell has mastered sort of madcap intensity. In that, yeah, interesting. This movie is very much a comedy, but it's also there's also very dramatic elements to it. But it feels like everyone in the movie's on cocaine, which makes sense because it's the seventies. <laughs> yeah, but that's the that's the tone of it. It's like so in- intense, but also kind of like I don't want to say slapsticky, but very funny. That well, like the fighter with all the sisters. Yeah, like, exactly. That kind but of he, thing. He's got a I love that he, movie. That's what he's really good at, though. Um, uh, Silver Linings Playbook. You'll have these serious moments, but there's this hilarity underneath yeah. them. And you'll see these, there's some really funny sequence. Everything's falling apart and then this guy's family is all on the staircase and, and you're just like, yeah. you just have to burst out laughing even while you're totally stressed out. And uh, Amy Adams is terrific the in it. And Jennifer is amazing. Jennifer, it's an incredible cast. I, I just wish he didn't have that albatross of Bradley Listen, Cooper around his I was neck. thinking about you because it, he, you'll love this because he is the villain. All yeah, right. He's, yeah, yeah, he's, he's the most that. despicable person in a movie full of despicable. I can people. roll with that. I can roll. Don't ask me to root for him like in Silver no, Linings. No, 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 no,
it's it's a, it's sort of about like a I guess it's a metaphor for like parasitic relationships or, or how we're drawn to each other. But it opens with this, this weird extended sequence where you follow the path of these worms that come out of the ground from these orchids, these sort of little round worms that get put into pills by this this guy called the thief, and he attacks this woman. He's, he like subdues her outside of a restroom, forces her to take this pill, and then he follows her home when she sort of wakes up from the attack and the the roundworm gets into her system and it puts her into this highly suggestive state so that he can say like don't look at my face i have this condition that makes my face look like the sun so it'll blind you if you look at me so she's not looking at him so you can't identify him later and he basically gives her all these tasks that's like busy work like you have to you're going to have to transcribe an entire page from uh from uh, on walden pond uh, from Thoreau, like you, you need to write this down, and then you have to like stack these things up or whatever. And in the meantime, he's taking all of her finances away and having her sign checks and stuff, and you know unloads all of all of her money and and makes <laughs> off with it. Then later on, she wakes up and she's she's trying to get this roundworm out of her. It's she can see crawling under her skin. It's really gross and disturbing. Then she, there's this this guy out in a field. In, um, in like an RV sending out um, these sonic waves that uh, draw the worm and in turn draws her to the RV. He surgically removes the worm, puts it into a pig, a live Dude, pig. And then on? there's this, you, this farm in this with these pigs running around and, and uh, the pigs, like because she falls in love with another guy that this happened to. And then the pigs fall in love. Okay, this is fascinating. I don't, I don't want to go through the whole film, but this is fascinating. I think maybe you dropped acid before we started recording. <laughs> no, I just I just wanted to take it that far because it's it's that weird of a movie, and you're sitting there like what? And so uh, yeah, it's uh, pretty, it's a very interesting movie. Uh, nowhere near as complicated is a, a, a little documentary called A Band Called Death about a band called Death. Um, really interesting story. Uh, three, uh, it's a, about a trio of brothers, these three black kids from Detroit. I think it was Detroit. And they ended up uh, playing punk music way before anybody else, before the Ramones. Oh, Dave um, was telling me about this. Yeah, okay. This, mov- this movie is, if you like music and if you love uh, stories about uh, things working out eventually. Um, this is a, fil- a film about that. It's a film about family. And it is one of those movies that makes you feel really good because in the end, uh, it, it, it all works out. It's not a spoiler or anything. Otherwise, they wouldn't make a movie about it. But it's about these, these, these brothers doing what they loved and no one understanding them. The, the record companies are like, look, we'd love to sign you. We think you have a really interesting sound, but you got to change the name. And they, the older brother wouldn't change the name, and he died. And right before he died, he said, look, one day people are going to come looking for this music, and, you're, and everybody's going to know about a band called Death. And it all came true. And it's a really great movie. It's a, you can rent it on iTunes. And if you love music, this is a really cool uh, story in the, uh, the broader music story. So I think it's, I highly is it on Netflix? It's, I think it's streaming on it might, Netflix. It might, so yeah, it might be on Netflix. Before you go to iTunes, just check that out. Before you go to iTunes, it sounds check very that. much similar to Searching for Sugar Man, which was last year's it's, big documentary. Yeah, which uh, very, yeah, yeah. very similar. Very similar and uh, really, really kind of cool. So, so check it out. Uh, and, uh, yeah, so check it out. So those are the films. Uh, just for methodology's sake, we like to, we each get to pick five for these two categories. So everyone always wondering why we don't talk about movie A or B. It's because we 
don't have six it, hours to record the show. So we've narrowed down to five each. Those are the top five we wanted to talk about, each one of us. Now we'll move on to television. And uh, Arrow is the surprise for me because uh, it's really good. Yeah, he's great. And I not think the in a, is great. like, oh, it's a, com- it's, it's a superhero show, so I'm enjoying it on that level. It's like a good show to, uh, just on every level. And also surprising is that they just, you know what, we're going to jump deep into the DCU pool from the, from the get-go. It's not like Smallville where we're going bre- to you know, build our way up to it, start off in the beginning, and then in Season 7, really start exploring DCU. No, this is like deep-level DCU stuff right, from, right off the second season bat. Uh, there yeah. was some of it in the first season, but it's now in the second season, it's been like a lot of characters you were not expecting to see mm-hmm. on television, um, including uh, this season, The Flash, being introduced as this possible new series uh, happens next year. But uh, Stephen Amell's great as the lead. The whole the, the whole little ensemble cast they've got going. The the trio of Diggle and and uh, Oliver Queen and, and Felicity are a great great combo. I like Katie yeah. Lotts as Black Canary. I was excited. she was on Mad Men. Yes, you she remember her from Mad Men? She was the only thing about the that's the only thing about the show that is not working is the original sort of cast of Di- Dinah and her father and yeah, she's no pl- really no place in the story. And she, I don't think she would be, ever be a convincing Black Canary. So I wonder if they're trying to, you know, exit her stage left because the one they've got now really works. I always enjoy the misadventures of Speedy. I think she's yes. fun. Yeah, she's good. Yeah, it's a surprise show. I, I didn't expect it. I'm glad it's still on and I'm glad people seem to, more and more people seem to be watching it that I know. So uh, I'm glad it's got legs. Okay, but you're making me talk about this first? Yes. I, I, oh, I, I, so I did not, I we're gonna save I'm it not to the caught end. up. Should I just oh, like, no. take my headphones I won't, off? I won't, I, I, I won't have any support. Breaking Bad. Um, I recently I sold all my Blu-rays and bought the barrel, the complete series you barrel did. with the no. apron in it, and it, it's so cool. It's magnet. It's got magnets to hold the case. Anyways, Breaking Bad, <laughs> I absolutely adored this show. Um, you can get my extended thoughts on Fuzzy Typewriter, where every week I talked about each episode with my friend Rebecca Shinsky from Book Rageous and Book Riot, and uh, and we broke down each episode as it happened. But I thought this was the most satisfying conclusion to a drama Um, and I think in the end it's the most consistently great show uh, that's been on TV Um, there I mean there have been great shows that I've enjoyed as much but like you know like you know the West Wing uh, the wire but those shows aren't consistent all the way through I think Breaking Bad never skipped a beat yeah Yeah. absolutely agree Uh, well I was renting it uh, on Netflix and I would I would watch an episode and then I would it would just freak me out so much. It would be like days would pass. And I would just see the Blu-ray in the corner looking at yeah. me going, you ready yet? I'm like, I'm not ready. I'm not ready. I, I, can't, I could not binge watch that show. It was just there were episodes where I was like, I'm so glad it ended. The episode would be over because it was so stressful. And then, of course, it would pick up a millisecond later. And I'd be like, no. I went, so uh, I agree. For Thanksgiving, I went to my girlfriend's house. And, and we, were, we got there late the night before. And we were uh, tired from driving. And... We were sitting in the, in the kitchen, and I heard her parents watching TV, and I, I heard dialogue. I was like, I, I, know, I know that show. What is that show? And I realized it was Breaking Bad, and I went in the living room, and I realized they were watching the final season, and I was like, oh, um, can I watch with you? Like, ended up sitting with her, with her stepmom watching from like three episodes in a row. Awesome. Awesome. Because I got, you got uh, sucked right back in. Yeah, and this past, the, the final eight were just uh, edge of your seat, you know, super suspenseful. Uh, Ozymandias, yeah. by my, my favorite Breaking Bad writer is Moira Wally Beckett, who also wrote uh, the Fly episode, uh, the Big Bottle episode, that were they were all in the lab. Um, and it was directed by um, Brian Johnston, or Ryan Johnston, uh, who did Looper and, yeah, right. and Brick. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Ozymandias 
just destroyed me. <laughs> and that's the, wow. that's the third to the last one. And uh, it's, it's one of the, the best episodes of television. That's awesome. That's awesome. Uh, super satisfying. Loved it. You know, a great, a great ending for Walter White, a great ending for Jesse Pinkman. Uh, I think it ended exactly the way it should have. That's awesome. No complaints. Uh, I, this is funny. I were I did have a, quite a few complaints about this show, <laughs> but I still enjoyed Homeland this season. I actually haven't watched the finale that was on uh, last night as we're taping this because I'm traveling. But um, it's the opposite of Breaking Bad, and it's very, very inconsistent. But when it hits, yeah. it's hard. <laughs> yeah. It, yeah, when it hits it, it's hard. I, I thought last season, I thought the other two seasons were fantastic. I thought it stumbled quite a bit. Um, there was lots of challenges with sort of the pacing, especially in the, the early episodes. But well, um, they've, they've admitted they painted themselves into a corner yeah. in this for the beginning of the season. They weren't quite sure how to get out of it, and they oh, took them a while really? to figure But I actually really enjoyed about the season was it sort of became a CIA show, less about yeah. uh, Brody and his adventures, because really, how long can you go on with him like that. Yeah, exactly. You can't go exactly. on forever as that, with that character with what he did. So for this good portion of the season, we never even saw Brody. We just sort of did misadventures of Saul and Carrie right. and, the, and, and Flynn, the new CIA guy. And I, really, I was really into that. It's so, just funny. She is such a terrible agent. She just does not listen. <laughs> it's a really good management uh, like a lesson. You just, if there's people, they need to really lock down a little bit. But no, I, when, when Homeland hits, it hits hard and it hits great. So speaking of hitting hard. Uh, this season, Game of Thrones, was the, uh, this featured the Red Wedding episode, which became a cultural phenomenon. Yep. Uh, all over the internet, all over television, people's just looking at people's reaction to the Red Wedding episode. This there are people saying like this. Is, it's sort of like the uh, jumping the shark thing. It's like this is our Red Wedding episode. Interesting. Um, oh, they're already using it as a metaphor or whatever. That's yeah. cool. So this That's is funny. the episode where the you know the joke goes this is where every nerd you know waited for you know this is why every, yep. all your nerd friends were upset ten years ago. <laughs> um, but uh, and this is I know exactly because my girlfriend read the books ahead of time and she there was one day where she got really angry reading was it book oh. three. Yeah, yeah, cool. Because I texted her, I said, "Whatever you do, you <laughs> must finish the book before this. You do not watch the show because it's really, you know, it, it's, it's a, it's a, it's a too, it's so heavy. He actually wrote that chapter last yeah. in the books, and uh, I've read each book several times, and you know, this is where all the smug smiles have been for the past couple of years with the show. But Red Wedding aside, it's still. Top notch. The acting is great. Um, I Game of Thrones. What's great? It's for me. It's uh, really kind of an event show. I would my friend would come over and then we would we'd talk about it before we would watch it and then we would talk about it after. So for me, it was a. It's it's so great to see someone really imagine something that I cared so much about as a reader and make it really really sing. So uh, I can't wait for the next season. It's it's a that that just. You know, that Red Wedding is a fantastic episode, um, but I don't know if I can watch it like over and over again. Like, I don't know if I no. can go back to it. it. It's so painful to watch. It's also that that reveal. He, you know, you yeah. can never have yeah. that shock again. And people read the books, obviously, how you had the shock. But well, he but when Martin wrote the the episode, yeah. he he has tweaked it. So, you know, uh, Rob's wife was never pregnant in the books. So it is even more hardcore. So even if you had read the books, you had a, a triple sort of yeah. uh, gut check there so it was awesome not no pun intended yeah well um, it, i remember because I, I i saw most of the season at a party our friends of ours th threw a game of thrones party every sunday and but for this one they didn't have it and I think, <laughs> i'm kind of glad they didn't because <laughs> there are uh, reaction videos to this to this uh episode they're like and some of them are fake like yeah. 
like they, they like somebody gets so mad that they cut off another person's arm and it's you know <laughs> like special effects and stuff but i thought it, yeah really cultural phenomena yeah that's great you know the big shocker here paul it was great that you put it on because i had no idea i would like this show orange is the new black yeah Orange is the new blood. That was a, that was another cultural phenomenon. A lot of yeah. people talking about the new, and and you know this was well, just Netflix the, in general. This was the year between this, this year show and, yeah. and, and it was, wasn't the first one that they've done where like they had you know Lily Hammer and and some other things and and and, and House of Cards obviously. But Orange is the New Black, putting them all out there. Uh, all these uh, you know, was it eight episodes? I forget. I'm, no, I'm losing like track of episodes. Was it was okay? Yeah. Whatever. So they put so they put the, all the episodes out there at once, and you can watch them. You know, I, if if you have crazy discipline, I imagine some people can watch them one a night or like you know once a week. But you know, I got to mainline them. And Orange uh, the Black, terrible title <laughs> for uh, oh, great title. It's I don't know. It, or it's it's like maybe I don't know that if that's for me. But right. I think it I think it has a broader appeal than than all that. Like maybe you think it's going to be like legally blonde or something. Um and and it's based on a memoir um about this sort of privileged white girl who ends up going into going to prison uh for helping her girlfriend at the time uh smuggle drugs. She was an international drug smuggler, but this was like 10 years ago. And then like she finally gets sentenced years later. Yeah, and, she, does a plea, she does a plea bargain. And, yeah, and uh, she and she's in this relationship with Jason Biggs, and which is, they're going to have the only the only part of the show I wasn't really into. Was, yeah, I wasn't I wasn't huge into every that. Every time but, but, Biggs showed up, I was like, okay. What yeah. I love about the show, so it's 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 about these these women in, in prison, ostensibly, and um, Captain Janeway. Yeah. So, like, Wait a minute, is that great. Captain Janeway? Yeah. Kate, I, Kate I, Mulgrew. We, I yelped when I first, when I realized it was Kate Mulgrew, and she kills it. I think the, the the best moment is – I, I love the chicken episode where they're looking for the chicken and they think that there's something smuggled yeah. inside the chicken. And Kate Mulgrew is only interested in that chicken because she wants to eat it so she can absorb its power. And <laughs> uh, just fantastic. I, I love this show because it's, it's sort of – it's in a, in a small way, it's an anthology series in that you get to find out you know, in almost in a lost kind of way the yep. backstory of these characters before they ended up in prison and some, in some cases how they ended up in prison. And you'll watch a show – that's all about the transgendered character who went through all of this and had to tell the wife that I want to do this yeah, and to go through this transformation and the wife is like, all right. And, and, you know, a very interesting dynamic that you don't always see uh, on television. And then the next episode, they're just a background character. Yeah. And, but you know that, this character has this whole interior life and, and this whole history before prison, but now they've taken on this role well, think, in this yeah. weird society. I think you, you're, you nailed it with stuff you don't see. I think most of these characters are characters you don't see on TV. Yeah. Which is and, what and, makes it so and, interesting. And quite literally, because what you're also seeing is an entire, so many great New York women actors yeah. that this is their, first, in many cases, there's one of the girls, she's at the short hair, she's a Juilliard actress, and this is her, basically her first or second role, and she's terrific. And so you get to really see some really great talent that, you know, you probably wouldn't see on normal TV right away. It is basically the f- female Oz, because that's what Oz was. It was, right. yeah. it was yeah, a showcase totally. for all these New York actors that were, you would see in bit parts on Law and Order, who suddenly have a chance to show what they could do. Um, yeah, just so happens they're both. But I think there's a, there's a whole other level when it's women in prison and like you know how do they maintain their their relationships and the idea of like you 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 know you don't have makeup you know in, in prison yeah. or whatever and so like for for some of them that's a really big deal and to have a character that's that's the beautician. Yeah. And so it's 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 a lot of stuff that you know wasn't applicable in in Oz. So 
Yeah. It's great. Uh, you know, this is kind of an obvious one. I mean, uh, but Mad Men for me, I, I just continue to love to go back to that office and go back to that era. Um, um, I'm not even finished with this, this season yet, but I, I just, I really enjoy it. It's, um, it, it's, I just love, I love the characters as much as I hate some of the characters and, and, and how despicable they are. But for some reason, uh, it's just like comfort food for me. Uh, well, Mad that, Men. It's a well-oiled machine. Yeah. Point, right. I mean, they just you turn on Mad Men and it runs, and it, does, and it and it runs to interesting places, and every actor in that show is amazing. Yeah. And the writing is amazing, and the, the attention to detail is amazing, and it's just like a gift, you know. I miss something Lane. You- I miss Lane Price. I really do. <laughs> <laughs> I'm still enjoying but, it, um, but yeah, yeah. Not, not my favorite season. I don't, you know. Uh, no, it's, far, it's an but. interesting season because it really is the transition point. Because as anyone who grew up in New York knows, I mean, things are about to get really bleak. In New York, and they're not going to get unbleak again until the 1990s. So, you know, that sort of idealized era is over for New York. Yeah. And it's just a matter yeah. of the characters sort of dealing with that. You know, the, the, you, there's a lot more crime. You know, you, yeah. hear, you hear a lot of sirens in the background. I mean, New York is about to enter a really dark hole, a urban hole that doesn't come out of until the early 90s. So mm. uh, it's going to be, it's an interesting, I think it's a really interesting way to see these captains of industry in the f- late 50s, early 60s, dealing with the late 60s, early 70s, and mm-hmm. their, their place in the world not being what it used to be. Uh, that's what so, I find really interesting about it. So tell me about the show that everybody talks about that I didn't see, Elementary. Well, we talk a lot about Sherlock, right? Yeah. We all love yeah. Sherlock. It's great. Yeah. It's really, really great. But uh, and I've never seen this either. So Elementary is a Sherlock Holmes procedural on CBS you know, with, with Sherlock Holmes in New York with a female Joan Watson, Dr. Joan Watson, and it's really good. It is really good. And, and Johnny Lee Miller, who plays Sherlock Holmes, I would hesitate to say is as good as Benedict Cumberbatch, but he's, he's playing a different kind of, a, sort of a sexier Holmes, but not in that TV way. I mean, he just is. He's a, you know, he's a drug addict. And he's, oh, isn't uh, Johnny Lee Miller, wasn't he in Train Spotting? Yes, he was. Yeah. Oh you, know my what's, God. you know what's very cool about this is that wow. he and Benedict Cumberbatch both played Frankenstein and Dr. Frankenstein yes, yes. And, and flipped roles each night. Right, and they're both playing Sherlock Holmes now, which is pretty it's, cool. It, I mean, I was modern. Sherlock I was a little dubious. You know, I'm a big Holmes fan. I've, I've got the uh, I've got the, the 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 BBC box set. I've got the, you know the, the rich uh, mahogany and leather bound yeah. books. Yeah, um, <laughs> but uh, it, it's really good character work. I mean, it's a procedural show. There's not a lot of uh, mythology, although there was a very interesting Moriarty in the last season. But uh, can you just jump in? You, you can think, jump. It's you're... a procedural. You can jump in. It's, okay. you know, it's designed that way. So. If you're a Holmes fan, and if you're all curious, it's it's a really strong okay. show. It's not dry like the you know Johnny Miller's really funny um, and awkward in the way Holmes is, but he's a little bit of a different kind of so younger, a more sexier Holmes. Really great actor. That's um, cool. He's a great actor. You know, so another TV show that uh, I think pe- a lot of people are really dubious about. And they announced that we're going to do a Hannibal show. Totally. We're gonna do we're gonna do Silence of the Lambs on TV. Right, um, I was dubious. Real, it's sort of like Red Dragon on TV, and I was too. Um, I'm not, you know, but I'm not a huge loyalist to the Thomas Harris books. I've never read them. I, I, you know, I like, you know, Silence of the Lambs, and, um, you know, I, I had some fun with, you know, Red Dragon and the other ones. But, um, but anyways, this is this is um, this is. I, if you just – I caught this on Blu-ray. I didn't watch it when it was on NBC, which I can't believe. Yeah, I can't really believe – that's, that's sort of the big story is that this was an NBC show. This was on you know regular network TV. I cannot believe – it looks so rich, so well shot. 
Um, it's some exquisite. of the most it's like it's like Hannibal Lecter, you know, himself designed the show, um, a man of his taste and stature. Um, that's that's just how how. Uh, and the guy who plays elegant it is. the guy who plays Hannibal Lecter, whose name Mads Mickelson. Mads Mickelson. It's almost like Elementary. It's and it's he. He's not doing a better Hannibal. He's doing a different Hannibal, but it's as, as interesting Hannibal. That's that's the key. He's. You know, he's not doing Sir Anthony Hopkins. No, he's, he's not doing, he's doing a movie completely different. different thing. And but he's also uh, terrifying and interesting. He's and, scary. And scary the, the, I, there was more. I mean, this show really b- puts to rest the sex versus violence debate in America. But like, there's m- more gruesome stuff on that show every week on TV than I've ever seen on a network show before. And wow. Then, you know, but if a nipple p- appears, we're all gonna freak out. But uh, <laughs> I mean, he turned a guy no, into it, a ch- human cello and played his vocal cords with a with a bow. Yeah, really. So they're like, wait till you get to this. I mean, oh, th- there's dude. a there's a totem pole made out of people. Yikes! Um, this is from the guy, and this is from the guy responsible for pushing daisies and wonderfalls. And, Brian Fuller. Uh, Brian Fuller. That's amazing. Uh, it's really uh, good. Show. I, I would recommend anybody check it out. Blu-ray. Hugh Dancy. Hugh Dancy, really good. Yeah. Um, as uh, Will Graham. And Lawrence Fishburne also really that that those three together, um, I, I I can't believe it's NBC. I really can't. I'm, I'm almost scared. And I'm, so, I'm so glad there's going to be more. Wow. Yeah. Um, this show, Marvel's Agents of Shield. I think it's fair to say that you know this had a lot of people up at arms. People were really excited about it. I think a huge amount of people were just as much disappointed by it. Um, I can see the disappointment. I can see the frustration because, but what, because they want something that it just really isn't right now. It's really sort of a family action show. It reminds me sort of like this this era's A Team or Magnum PI. They that would have kind been of totally thing. home in 1984. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, but for some whatever reason, um, I end up watching it. And I see the flaws, but I also see it getting better. I've got this weird thing. I don't like Clark Gregg. I, I think he's great in small amounts. Otherwise, I... Uh, this is where you and Paul part ways forever. There's, there's a lamp on this table that I think is showing just as much motion as he does at any given yeah. episode. Love but, Clark um, But that being said, uh, I, I, I like watching what they're doing with it i enjoyed some of the ties into the to the uh the thor movie i i'm very excited about the potential of where this show can go it is kind of uh they kind of got to get over the 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 baddie of the week but i do like that there's been sort of this uh overarching story um i can see it falling apart at any given second but i thought it was worth mentioning just because we, we you know, see it falling apart at any given second yeah, as it yeah. Happens. and there's a couple of things that really bothered me but like I uh, I know that lots of people hate it. I don't. I'm not passionately in love with it, but it's something that I did find myself watching pretty much almost the day the day after or within the week. So, I thought for, it was for me, for wa- watching it, um, I, I'm not infuriated. I don't think it's. I'm, I'm I'm not disappointed in in it being bad. It, but I'm I'm disappointed in the missed potential. Um, yeah, yeah. That I there's see so that. there's so much you know stuff that they can pull from. Um, yeah. but I, and I think the other thing is, is we, the younger isn't, I don't think he's quite ready for prime time. Um, I, I don't, I don't, doing a weekly show of this many episodes and this high, uh, you know, like, you know, it's expensive. That show it's, is expensive. it's an expensive show. Ah. It's, it's a big action show. And I don't, I don't think they're ready. I, it it's just ha- feels hard, amateurish. Hard, I, I was talking to somebody about this the day before it came out. We were saying this is either going to be fantastic or just going to be an unmitigated disaster. And it is not either. It's not. It's neither. It's so weird. Um, 
but I can, <clears throat> I can, but I can see it coming because the pro, you know, everyone, everyone, and I don't think I'm talking about you guys, but lots of people expected you, you know, the Avengers every every week on the no. screen, and you're not going to get that. But the other problem is they can't really explore anyone with any kind of value in terms of character because they might want to use them in the movies. Right. Yeah. And, I, and I acknowledge that. And it's but... hard because you're talking about a universe so rich in characters and you've got some stupid organization called the Centipede or whatever it's called when you could be using any number of Marvel, yeah. real Marvel criminal organizations. Uh, but they don't want to use them because they might want to use them in the movies. And that's why you don't get Luke Cage in the you, Use Mark Wade's Agents Byzantine. I thought about them and they should be using <laughs> them instead. But uh, it's tough. And I think the tone is... A, the, the tone is fine for me. I think they didn't really nail the characters. I don't know. Well, I, I don't know. How to fix, I've read lots of how to fix agents, and I don't know how to fix agents of Shield. There's, a, there's, I don't know. We'll don't see. Know. We'll see. If I, some I, of but like you, yeah, I watch it every week, and I, yeah. I, I have fun mostly. Sometimes <laughs> I start reading a magazine in the middle of it. Depends on the episode, but oh, I've, I've played lots of little iPhone games during it <laughs> for sure. Um, I, I didn't know you were watching this, Connor. The Americans on FX was one of the sleeper shows of the year, and it's funny because I, I didn't talk about it because I watched the first couple episodes and enjoyed it, and then. One of those things happens where you miss a couple, and then you're like, okay, well, then we'll save them up for, for my DVR, and then suddenly you've got nine on there. Yeah, yeah. And so I spent a whole weekend watching all those episodes, and it is a really good show. It's terrific. It's a really good show. This is Curry Russell, and this is, she's great. This is a show about set in the 1980s. It's a period piece about a sleeper cell of Russian KGB agents pretending to be Americans in the suburbs of Washington, D.C., and it just it just reminds you how shitty the '80s were, man. <laughs> God, I mean, it's terrific. I mean, even the the show is a little the colors are a little washed out. Yeah. Uh, the credits are very '80s feeling. It's just it's just not a glamorous show. And uh, I think they really nail the tone of it. Uh, the casting's terrific. The guy, the, 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 male lead, lead. the lead, male lead's great. Um, he's, he's great. He's um, the agent with a little bit of. Conflicting feelings about uh, I kind of you know I kind of like living in America. It's kind of awesome. We kind of we yeah. get blue jeans and food, and there's not a lot of problems here. And and, and and they're 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 so they're a married couple, but they didn't even know each other, right? So they're and they have two kids, and they struggle it, you, with their feelings. Sometimes he, he yeah. he's in love with her, and then then she blows it, and then she falls in love with him. It's really there's a lot of dynamics going on. Carrie Russell, who I thought wasn't going to be, is actually a really convincing, badass KGB agent. Yeah, um, it's tough. It's a rough show. Um, but well worth watching if you like that kind of spy stuff. Great and spy there's stuff. all this sort of great spy gadgetry, you know, but it's all in the 80s, so it's really shitty spy gadgetry. <laughs> it's super cool, like, and really bad old, Oldsmobiles and shit. It's just like, and, and some, you know, they get into some really great problems, you know, yeah. where you're like, I don't know what they're going to do. There's a body in the trunk, you know, like that kind of shit. So, and Marco um, Martindale has a small role as their handler. Um, yeah. It's a really oh, she's she's a wonderful. It's a she's great a spy story. Right great spy yeah. story. It's just, it's, if you like period piece spy tales, I don't know why you're not watching The Americans, but. Isn't she also in that crappy sitcom, too? Yeah, but she's, that, she's in that, everything. That crappy sitcom's paying it for her big. Yeah, yeah true. Um, but the best show on TV is. Best show, The Good Wife. The best show currently on TV. You know, no, so my favorite thing I watched no this way. year yes. was Breaking Bad. Yes. No way. Good Wife. Yes, it is. So good. Uh, crime writer George Pelicanos wrote about it earlier this year, I think, or, or maybe previously, and said that it has the best quality control on television because it's so consistently good over like 20 plus episodes a season. And Shows that are this good are usually, you know, the the AMCs or the HBO like ten or thirteen episodes per season. So for this to be good, consist so con- so good consistently for twenty episodes is kind of crazy. Well, let me add to that: somebody we know was having dinner with uh, legendary comic creator Howard Chaykin, and he said it was the best show on TV as well. Yeah, 
Um, well, so wait, oh, guys, I haven't seen a single episode of this. It looked kind of interesting when it was coming out. Well, I just I didn't, I didn't see watch it. it until the fourth season. I, I, caught, up on ne- I caught up on Netflix. I so caught up you on got it this year. All okay. this year, I caught up on. I was, it. So, I was so forced, you recommend I was catching up? To do it by 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 my girlfriend. She said you have to watch the show, and I caught up. I'm sorry, I was did it reluctantly, but then one. Like third or fourth episode in, I was hooked. And so, you know, like you think it's going to be a procedural, you know, lawyer show. And that stuff's interesting. And they always have great stunt casting for the judges. Casting on TV. Michael J. Fox had a wonderful recurring role in the show. Uh, You guys are killing me right now. Damn you. A lot of Jeffrey Tambor this year. It's an old school network show. It's like, you know, ER. It's like when network shows were great all the time. You know, law, yeah. LA Law, Law and Order, NYPD Blue. This was like that in that vein. It's just I have the I have the hugest crush on Juliana Margulies. She's just mesmerizing in this. Um, and they keep finding ways to reinvent the show because originally that's the thing it was, this year. It was pitched as, you know, Elliot Spitzer's wife. You know, basically the, the yeah. governor cheats on his wife and it's a scandal and and what happens to the wife. And then, but but the thing is, you can't sustain a five season show on that. So they keep finding ways to reinvent. You know, the the pre- not the premise, but the 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 backdrop. You know. Of the show, he makes a come- political comeback later on, and and that that changes everything. So it's a really great dynamic. Uh, and it was sort of like just when I thought that they were running out of ideas, they do this. This season is like a major game change. Wow! And this season was been, like with Mad Men when they broke off into, into yeah. their own their own wow. firm. That was like this season. And, it's uh, uh, it's wonderful. Christine Baranski, uh, Nathan Lane. This they just keep rotating in fantastic actors. I need more Eli Gold. That's that's the thing. I sort of like they, for a while there they they lost track of Kalinda. I needed more Kalinda with a baseball bat, you know, going through a, a There was you know, one garage, season, but I think it was two or three? Thing, I think it was three or four. Not four, where, it was, thing was three, well, three the, was the, the thing with Kalinda's yeah. ex-husbands? Yeah. Like, what are they, what are they, they didn't know what to do they, with they Kalinda admit, for a I while. Admit, and, they admitted that was a mistake. And they but, sort of, it was sort of like uh, on uh, Friday Night Lights where they didn't know what to do with Landry and yeah. that whole thing. Yeah. Mike, it's a so there are So there are shows that come out of the blue because you complain to Connor you don't know what to watch. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, for me, the the show that really made a profound impact on me this year really was Broadchurch, uh, which you can rent. And they actually have to buy the episodes on iTunes. I'm sure the DVDs or Blu-rays are out there. But this is... Uh, <laughs> I think I, I, what think a I cool told you show. four or five times to watch it. Before yeah, demand it. Yeah. Um, it all came to blows almost. I totally and, need to uh, watch this. It's totally my wheelhouse too. Oh, so. Paul, I thought for sure you'd watch this. It's it's a terrific, uh, it's almost like an Agatha, Agatha Christie style murder mystery where, you know, yeah, you're given yeah. all the setup, you got the town, uh, there's been a terrible uh, crime and I'll do the. I'll do. I'll, I'll catch up on it when they do the remake with David Tennant. No, 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 no. 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 It, and the thing is, it's I don't one need of those, to see the original with David Tennant. <laughs> I need <laughs> right, to see the David Tennant version. It's, that's and, and David Tennant is actually redoing this. I think for Fox. Yeah. yeah. Cha- um, like and it will be disturbing uh, to see that. But no, I, I, um, I highly recommend checking this out. Is and it also, eight if episodes, you, I believe, eight episodes. It's only eight episodes, and it is vu- visually arresting. It's uh, a are, the most beautiful show of the year. It's the the most. Be- it makes your your TV look amazing. It's just really well shot. It's really perfectly uh, balanced. The tone of it is great, and it's a very very. Uh, it's a great whodunit, and uh, it's a very painful whodunit. It's a very what's interesting. Is that when they revealed the killer? I'm not going to spoil it. Uh, lots of people freaked out a lot because. Uh, they didn't like the reveal, but then once you go back and look, the clues are all there. They're yeah. very, very subtle. 
It's mm-hmm. an eminent. It's very much. It's very rewatchable in that way. It takes place. Broadchurch is a, a fictional town. I don't know what the original name of the town is in England, but it's this you know sleepy, town. sleepy coastal town whose uh, foundation is uh, really rocked when um, a, a child is found murdered. dead. Yeah. And uh, you know, I'm there. You know, I'm sure there are members of the audience who have a kid, and it, and it, it, I don't have a kid, but I really, you can feel this pain. The acting is terrific. And oh, uh, it's terrific. Um, Eight it's, episode it's, murder mystery was on. Uh, it was obviously it was originally an uh, English show. It reared on I think BBC America reared it. Yeah. And then it was you know it's available everywhere now. But uh, and, so, and and somehow they're doing a second one. And I don't. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> that, that town's been through enough. <laughs> so maybe it's going to be down down the road from Broadchurch. But uh, great I, English I actors in it. Super, yeah, yeah. David Tennant's really, really good at it. I'd never you know, seen Doctor I, Who, but he was really, yeah, really good in it. I'm, I was the same boat. Like, I have never seen Doctor Who. I know that's a crime, but um, it, it, if he, he's a, a really, really great actor in this, so mm-hmm. uh, highly recommended. Great, a great pick me up for the holidays. <laughs> <laughs> you can never go wrong with English people murdering other English people, <laughs> and then another English person comes along and figures out why. Right. Um, so, Foils War. I'm cheating. I'm going off the script. Foils War. Watch it. Now, Vikings was a show that I watched on a whim or when it first came out. I'd heard, I'd read a couple articles about it. Really glad I did. It was his, any History Channel? History Channel. Yeah, yeah. History, History Channel. Channel. History Channel, that's right. History yeah. Channel, basically a, hey, everyone loves Game of Thrones. Let's do a show about Vikings because it's kind of similar, um, but yeah. actually kind of really awesome. I really enjoyed this show. I'm not video. still watching it. I, I there, You know... I'm sure that people have hangups with it, but the casting's really strong. The lead um, actor, whose name I don't know, who got cast in the World of Warcraft movie just recently, yes, yes, that's right. is yep. so charismatic. Yeah. Um, yeah, you can't help but be enthralled by him. Uh, and he is—he's—he is, he is, he is playing a real Viking, whose name I'm, I'm lost at the moment because this is a long show. But uh, this is this is a sort of quasi based on a true story, as much as you can be a true story in Viking times when we don't really know what happened. But uh, really. Great. It's a, and it's not super long. It's, just, it's a story about Ragnar Lothbrok. Ragnar Lothbrok, and it's <laughs> and it's the story of the Vikings sort of expanding into England. Travis Thimmel. If you, if you yeah, remember the old uh, Northlanders comic, um, yes. if you like yeah. that, you'll you'll love this it's book. The Vikings you'll, you'll finally basically uh, pillaging everyone around them and, and deciding they they have to expand their territory. So they and there's a there's a Skarsgård in there. Yes, Gustav Skarsgård, Floki. He's Floki's great. Floki's great, and there's also yeah. um, the, the one Loke. that. In there? Yeah, the one, the one that threw me Byrne. off. The one that threw me off was Jessalyn Gilsig, right. who's been in a bunch of things, but like Glee. She was on Glee yes. <laughs> as she, who is she? Wife of the wife of the. Oh, the that's girl. right. That's right. She's pretty good in that. That's right. I'd forgotten. That's but it, was, it took up. it took me out of it for a second because like the other ones are like sort of I, I have no idea who these actors yeah. are. But but then it was like whoa, whoa, that's weird. That's a little jarring. Well, oh, he's you watched a, it. Huh? Yeah, Did I caught it on it? video. I I loved it. Yeah, really, really, really. Cool. I'm excited. The, the next season, they're doing another season, and it's like it's it's a little bit in the future. Like that, the, they're going to get a different uh, actor to play the son. He's going to be older. Okay, that's like cool. a teenager. So it is like it's actually really kind of like Northlanders. Yeah, yeah. interesting. Yeah, he jumps around. Yeah, the wife is really oh, awesome so good. Too. But if you the enjoy wife. like that kind of you know swords and pillaging and boats, sword made and out sandals, of giant, man, giant trees and things, uh, I would definitely recommend catching Vikings. 
the shipbuilders. Oh, and if you watch it, if you watch it on a video, you get the Blu-ray. Um, watch out. It's not exactly a family-friendly thing. There's there's some nudity in there that I wasn't expecting. <laughs> oh, interesting. Well, because apparently they aired it, they aired it elsewhere, and so it was like the extended cut, and like Floki has a girlfriend who just walks out entirely nude, and it's just, well, just so, so just so you know, this it's not the way it aired on the History Channel, but interesting. Arrested Development what? is another one of those shows that let's dump all these episodes all at once on the uh, you know long long part. waiting public. Well, not not not. Well, can you know, we can we sidebar on that for a second? Yeah. Now I know you love that. Yeah. But my problem is I don't feel the urgency to watch them, and that's evidenced sure. by the fact that I have not yet finished this season as much as I love the show. Mm-hmm. And I heard it when, only gets better. When they're all there, yeah. it's like, well, yeah. I can watch them at any time. I don't need to watch them right now. When it's on once a week, every week, sure. I don't want it to pile up. So I watch them as it comes out normally. And I obviously didn't do it with the Americans. But I'm that's a my only problem with that is that. I like watching things all in a, a shot. I just, I, I or I'm like, in, I, I, I watched, I think I watched it. it over like two or three days. But I, I, I would watch it in big chunks. And, and it really benefits uh, this because there's a lot of overlapping storytelling and some really brilliant stuff. And this just sort of blew me away in terms of the organization of the plot in this because, the, you know, different characters appear in other people's episodes and you, you find out the context of, you know, why they're in the background or you discover that there are certain characters present in a scene that you didn't know about before, like they were hidden or in a costume or something. And... The other, the other cool thing about this, everybody has like different favorite episodes because each of these, the way they had to shoot it was, you know, since they couldn't get everybody together all at one time, there's character-centric episodes. And for me, I, I liked the Job episodes. I liked all the kid episodes. Um, didn't so much like the, the Tobias episodes. Um, I thought those, those jokes were a little bit thin. Um, yeah, I think it's a tough thing for me. I watched a couple, and it just really threw me off. How I had, cause I, I had, I had, re, you know, you know, I just made fun of mainlining. I just, I mainlined the first three seasons again in preparation for, for this one, and it yeah. just how it was so. It was just, just slightly different enough. Mm-hmm. The, the the quality and the sound was different. The obviously Ron Howard's voice is te- is almost ten years older. Yeah, um, it all the way I did it, I watched bit. these first, and then I went back and watched. Um, the old seasons. Right, and the, th- the thing is, for me, the, it's the interaction with the characters that really makes that show so great. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I don't know if maybe I'm just avoiding it because I know they're basically not all together in, in the show, but... It was, it's a bit of a mixed bag, but I think the, the, the great episodes were really great, and I was just so impressed with... They must have had, you know, like a, a John Nash kind of, like, bunker where they had, like, clippings up on the wall and, like... T- well, he's, or, he's, like, he's the, the end anyway. Of, the end of the first um, of uh, Homelands, where she's got everything connected right. in different colors and stuff. That that's has, because it's so intricate how everything interconnects, and right. it just blew me away. Well, I'm looking okay. That. Speaking of blown away, <laughs> the show that like I sometimes I mean maybe Hannibal's like this too, but sometimes I'm looking at The Walking Dead. I'm like, geez, Louise, I don't know how do they get away with all this stuff. Um, for me, Walking Dead is one of those shows where. I have to. I usually end up a few stack because it, even though I've read the books and I'm used to the show, yeah. I I really have to be kind of in the mood for it. That yes. sounds so lame, but I really am sometimes like I don't really feel like watching it. Like, <laughs> and it just it's so and it's good. I mean, I, I I this season's been really interesting. I'm not I'm not finished with it. I know that some the mid season finale is supposed to be off the off the chain as it were, but um. 
it's still uh, not to not to give too arresting. much away, but that's the show where they were talking about we have our our red wedding. Episode. Oh, really? Yeah. And, and you know, I mean, it's just it's cool that the show is on. I I sometimes wonder if it will ever end, kind of like the book, because it's just it's it just it's so relentless. Well, you get ready for the, the spinoff. The, the uh the Sleeping Dead. What is this? Spin- There's going to be a spinoff. a spinoff. Are you kidding me? Yeah. No way. They've already announced it. They're doing a second Walking Dead show. Yeah. I did. I didn't know that. Yep. Really? Yes. Wow. About what? Really? Different group of people in that world. Cool, really? dude. This show. This show prints money, dude. They're. They, of course, they're doing. I mean, they're. they're it's there's a, some speculation. It might be. It might go back to like the the breakout. The you know when 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 the, the zombieism broke out. Uh-huh. Yeah. That's but that's speculation. I don't know. Kind of like uh, what they try to do with uh, Caprica, right? In a weird way. Um, and look how well it, that I worked mean, out for sci-fi. I can see yeah, that right. being kind of interesting. And that's the rumor. I'm sure it, you know. Yeah. You heard her here first. Uh, <laughs> no, well, I mean, it's, you, otherwise it, it's the same exact show, which is different actors. Yeah, it's it's a uh, the casting is really great. I mean, the, the, you know, that's got to be a hard show to do. Um, Connor and I have been lucky enough to go to a couple screenings with Q and A with the uh, cast, and uh, I'm really, really stoked for them. It's just, it's to me, it's amazing that this show is so incredibly popular because it's so incredibly hardcore and grisly. <laughs> it's, it's just, I, I look at it and I'm like, how come, how can so many people watch this? And and nobody, you know, like and it just it's, increases. It just keeps going. It's increasing. It's incredible. We're the Walking Dead. <laughs> That's what it is. There's we some just, fascination. Uh, there was an article in Vanity Fair this month about what is our fascination with, with all this horrible stuff. That, you know, the popularity of movies like The Purge and The Walking Dead, things like that. But uh, yeah, I, I really like the show. Um, I've really really, liked it. Yeah, it's a terrific show. And and I, I and I, I I will say, you know, just sort of closing up this segment. Um, what a what an embarrassment of riches uh, TV has become. Yes. Um, we we this is oh, this was the truly, hardest. This was the hardest segment to put together. Yeah. I I knocked off. Three or four shows that I love because I had only, could pick only five. Uh, you know, it's tough. I don't it's know. tough. I, I we didn't even get to talk shows. about Murder She Wrote and Heartbroken. <laughs> I probably spent more time watching Murder She Wrote on Netflix than watching any of these other shows. Well, but, Paul, uh, do they have Murder She Wrote box sets? They do. You can yeah, get the whole do. series oh, sure. for a little bit over $100. I think it's temporarily out of stock. <laughs> Where do you but you can grab that. You can go to ifanboy.comslash Amazon. And you can pick that up. You can pick up, as I mentioned on the Pick of the Week show, the Criterion Zatuichi com- complete movie series. It's like 25 movies. And it's on sale for 140 bucks. Grab that on ifanboy.com slash Amazon. Okay? And we get a little cut of the action. We get a little piece of that. And uh, wouldn't that be lovely? It would be a great Christmas present to us, a little stocking stuffer sent our way. Um, you can also help us out by going to ifanboy.com slash registration. And you can... Uh, you can uh, give us, you know, a little bit, a little bit of love, three dollars a month, maybe thirty dollars a year, yeah. um, and that helps keep the help. lights on, helps keep the twinkle lights on. We haven't switched over yet to the uh, more uh, energy efficient bulbs. I feel but, like we should just leave the twinkle lights up all the time. Yeah, and uh, that's how we will use lighting from now on. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but Paul, can, have well, you got? Do you, do you own the uh, set, Paul? The, the Zatoichi set? set? No, the Murder She Wrote set. The Murder She Wrote. I don't. Um, and I was heartbroken when they took it off of Netflix. Oh, like I was like, where is it? And I was like doing circles. Like, where is it? Why did you take it? It was like that, the Cosby show, they did it before. I was like, oh man. And now it's time for the segment that whenever we have this on the show, people always make fun of us because, uh, in the past when Josh, Ron and I would talk about video games, we were not really gamers. 
I think I, I started talking about iPhone games since I finally just gave up, so I stopped contributing <laughs> to the segment at all. There's some good iPhone games out there, too. But now that Paul is yeah. on the show, and Paul Ridiculous is an actual fishing. gamer, and, and Mike also the, the, dips his toes into the video game world, uh, we have some actual game talk happening. So let's let's start it off. This was actually really hard for me to narrow down what games I wanted to talk about. <laughs> so um, really? first, the big one for me, PlayStation 4. It's, I mean, it's always huge. It's a new console generation. I went with the PlayStation 4 because, with the, I mean, they announced the PlayStation 4 and the Xbox One around the same time. And, you know, uh, the Xbox Xbox One camera kind of, you know, and all the security stuff kind of freaked me out. And I also like that the PlayStation 4 and, and Sony are really supporting uh, indie gaming and making it really easy for, uh, at least at least uh, to my understanding, making it easy for, for smaller developers to bring weird things like Octodad and, you know, like, I don't know, Rezogun and stuff, like put them on the PlayStation 4 uh, and to get, because a lot of the best games now are, are the smaller little games, not the AAA crazy have to like buy a country kind right. of games. So uh, I, I picked up a PlayStation 4. Sadly, not a whole bunch of games out at the moment for the PlayStation 4 or the Xbox One in fairness. Mike, are you so, an Xbox guy? You know, I was a 360 guy, and uh, we've been really going, uh, sort of three other friends, and we've been really going back and forth. I, I quite enjoy the Xbox 360 platform. Mm-hmm. Um, I, liked, I, I thought the, uh, the way they were selling the, their versions of the indie game market, and uh, how, just how their, their infrastructure, I, I really liked. 360 but, led the way in yeah. you know, bringing but, those um, indie games to mainstream. I'm really on a, a wait-and-see approach. I really don't play uh, the Xbox nearly as much as I, I, I thought I would. I would. I, I I haven't even finished uh, Mass Effect three, and I'm, I'm I love those games, and yeah. you know, but uh, I'm really interested. I, I kind of like the fact that PS4 and the Xbox One are including uh, Twitch as part of the experience, so people can yeah. sort of broadcast their game. With the share button right on the controller on the PS4. Oh, really? So that's yeah, so that's can... really incredible. So we'll see. I mean, I'm I'm wondering if this is the these are going to be the last consoles. If uh, it's sort of an interesting time in the video game. Let's talk about that market, yeah. but um. Yeah, we'll, we'll see. It's it's all about the content. I feel like the uh, PS4. I'm more likely to get that if I get one. I just feel like the Xbox One is just a massive piece of equipment that I don't really yeah. need. And I started off at a cheaper price point. It's got a better controller than the PlayStation Three did. Um, I I love the the Sony exclusives. Yeah, you know, like the, well, the but last I like of the us. Xbox One exclusive, so it's really tough. And mm. and, it, and I but I'm not going to buy both. And so I don't know. That's, I, but that's cool to hear that you're excited about the PS4. I'm really interested. I'm, I'm crazy. I have all the consoles except for Xbox One at this point. It's it's really nice. kind of sad. So for like for like a month, all, <laughs> all Mike would talk about was this game, and, th- and for a while I just sort of nodded my head, going, I don't know what he's, what he's talking about. Yeah, I'm pretend like he does. And then 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 I figured it out. But this is all Mike did for like a month. So, well, no, so so. Okay, I, it was the winter time <laughs> in Ohio, and there was nothing to do except play with my nephews, who are great, but um. I ended up going kind of stir crazy and renewing my World of Warcraft subscription, and we'll talk about that in a bit because I'm I'm still a little bit ashamed of that. But one of the the things that really came out of it, in addition to me listening to a podcast called The Instance, was a uh, I got invited to the Hearthstone beta. Now Hearthstone is a uh, digital collectible card game, um, and holy shit, it is a lot of fun. It's free to play. There's going to be an open beta announced probably. Uh, next week because it's supposed to be sometime this month mm. and I highly recommend it. If you've ever played Magic the Gathering, it's basically that. But in the uh, Warcraft world. 
But in the Warcraft world, and what's great about it is since it's digital, they can really tweak the game on the fly throughout this beta to really make the gameplay really, really fun. That's cool. They can, so you can change the qualities of the cards, which you obviously can't do with printed cards. So the game itself, it's really focused on having fun, even though I get really frustrated when I play a priest or a mage. <laughs> but... Um, <laughs> What's crazy about it is that you're, it's a perfect sort of palate cleanser where you're like you're really busy at work or you're just, you have 10 minutes to spare and you can just play in and out. You're playing against real people and it's, it's really addictive and they've been really amping up when you get like a legendary card, you put it down. It's got all these special effects that you obviously can't do in a, in a regular uh, collectible card game. So I think uh, Hearthstone is going to make Blizzard ton of money and but it's a, uh, it's a you, free game but with in, free in, game. in game upgrades right yeah you can and the thing is you never need to spend money because like candy crush yeah, but you have like, oh, fucking hate Candy Crush. <laughs> but, but you can, there's lots of ways to win gold which you, and, and get new cards. So you can actually go and not spend any money at all. I haven't spent any money on it. I'm, I, that's not true. I spent probably about $3 on it. Um, but it's super fun, and you end up, I, I, I would be in meetings going, wow. Uh, during a conversation, I would equate someone's response to a card that they would lay down. Wow, he just blocked that conversation. <laughs> you know, so it really, kind of inhabits a weird part of my brain but um, if you're already playing you know what I'm talking about if you don't know what I'm talking about uh, do a search in Hearthstone uh, and you'll probably get and, and go for that beta and it, it's super fun and when the iPad version comes out I'm dead it's just, there, will be no, there will be no actual work done uh, Paul I have heard nothing but amazing things about this game well, that you want Bioshock Bioshock Infinite of course you know it's, it's, it's Bioshock 3 uh you know, so it's the original Bioshock is one of the most important games to have come out in like you know the past 10, 20, 50 years. I mean, it's huge. Ken Levine, amazing storyteller. This one, instead of being underwater, you're in a floating city up in the air of Columbia. You had a wanted girl, a debt to be forgiven. Uh, the Beach Boys, God only knows, as interpreted by a barbershop quartet, just as you're walking along, walking along, exploring the city, and they're just like, "What? I kind of recognize that song, but I've never heard it that way before." Um, you can summon murders of crows or tidal waves. Uh, you can possess enemy machines and turrets. You can pull ammo and grappling points and uh, all kinds of things from other dimensions. Uh, and you're traversing this big floating city in this first-person shooter on a skyhook. Um, it's, it's, it's exhilarating, it's infuriating, it's super ambitious, it's a bit steampunk. Um, a lot of people kind of, kind of, I think, unfairly lambasted because it's not the best game ever. Um, it's, it falls somewhat short of being totally sublime, but it's, I, I had so much fun with it, except for the final battle, um, was just such, it drove me up a goddamn wall. And it's, uh, <laughs> it's the most trouble I've had with a video game uh, end boss since like uh, Uncharted 2. Like I just over and over again. And it's this thing where you sort of have to, you have to complete an objective before uh, oh. the power source is destroyed. And oh. so when that's destroyed, you start over and you just have to go back to the last save point. And it just drove me nuts. But um, it's like an episode of the Twilight Zone. It has this amazing ending that people are going to be talking about forever and ever. Does and, it still uh, have all the like the crying and the screaming and the rattling and the chains and all that shit that freaked me out so much in the other one? 
In Bioshock? Uh, yeah. yeah. I mean, there, there is... Oh, man. Yeah. Nightmares. Nightmares. It's not not quite as polished and not quite as cohesive as the original Bioshock, but I think it's I mean, it's a must-play if, if you've got the console or the PC or whatever. Now, I refu- referred to this in, uh, or just a second ago, but I, I did re-up my World of Warcraft subscription, and, uh, and now I find myself playing a monk panda... <laughs> Um, which uh, <laughs> what happened I, to that I feel, game? I feel like I have to go to a support group. Um, to be fair, ever since Hearthstone uh, has come out, I haven't played nearly as much. I've never but, played. Um, well, you know, I had stopped playing World of Warcraft in 2007 or 2006, and so you know, which meant that when I ended up getting it, I downloaded the game for about four days before I could play it. <laughs> but um, it's a big it was really, it's been really intimidating to go back in, but. Um, there's something cool about it. They've still got the secret sauce. There's something about the world that you're exploring, and it's it's still a real lush, amazing environment. And there's so much to do now that it's actually kind of overwhelming, and it's well, it's kind of a problem. Let me ask you a question. As I stand here, moving from foot to foot, scratching my arm like a heroin addict, <laughs> um, is is it so? Because that's I, you know, me and Ron and Josh also played it in 2005 and stopped in 2000 six or whatever is it a different game now is it a completely different game because no it's it's the same it's the same I, I thing heard it move more but they've changed like well they changed a lot of battles as opposed to like questing and things like that oh no no i mean so you know i'm still learning the ropes a year later but they've made it so you can do a lot more there's still just as much emphasis on exploring and finding stuff and having these solo adventures, but they've made it easier to do things like go on a raid or go find a dungeon and you'll, you'll have daily quests and there'll be these sort of mini games within the game that, uh, that make it a much more uh, vibrant and dynamic experience uh, that, that was kind of surprising. It's still super intimidating. I, I still don't really feel like I know what I'm doing. My biggest complaint about it is since there have been so many expansions, I just I don't know what to do in what order, right. but I don't know how to do that in real life either. So I guess, <laughs> <laughs> I guess that's the, the thing. Um, but, you know, it was really, it's been really interesting going back and just seeing that this thing is still such a big deal well, and still, still so apex. many people play it. It's still the yeah. biggest gorilla in the room. I've always, and, it's always the reason why I've never played any other, you know, MMO games is that, you know, it's not going to be as good as Warcraft. It's not yeah. going to be, the, the yeah. interface, the, the controls, the graphics, none of it's going to be as good. It's it's just it's really interesting. I mean, and they've and they've incorporated a lot of technologies. I mean, you can you can do the chats and all that kind of stuff right in right in game. And there's just things that are probably old hat to people who are still playing, but having not played it for a very long time, coming back in, it was a little bit like coming home. But then it was also like going back to that cracked in that you said you would never <laughs> go back to. So now Hearthstone's my new cracked in. So I basically just transfer my paycheck to uh, Blizzard. And that's the arrangement that we've got now. Uh, um, Paul, what is, what is this? Is this papers, some sort of please? indie game? I'm going to talk about two indie games. I'm going to try to get through <laughs> them really quick. So, okay, so Papers, Please is something created by Lucas Pope. And I got it in a, like, I don't know if it was a beta or it was an early, it was free. And um, Josh Christie, who wrote for iFanboy, um, recommended oh, yeah, yeah, it to yeah. me. I'm so glad he did. And uh, now you can get it on Steam. And, uh, and it's, you're, you're, okay. What is the premise? You're an, you're an immigration inspector. For Aristotska. 
um, which is a you're it's in the 80s. You're in the Cold War, and it's this fictional Soviet nation sort of, and they've just got out of this long war. And you're an immigration inspector, and it's it's um you're you're at this this desk at the border, and people keep coming up, and you have to approve like their passport and all their papers. So your papers, please. Oh my god, that's and hilarious. you stamp it or you deny it, and they get sent away. And if the wrong person gets through, they could they could be a suicide bomber or something. And at the end of the day, and obviously it's not real time, but you know, so for whatever minutes translate into a day in real time, you have to meet a certain quota or else you don't make enough money to, you know, have food or lights in your house. And you have a lot of people that live with you, like in-laws and stuff. And they could get, they could get cold or they get sick. They could die. It's like Oregon Trail. And there's like, you got to worry about smugglers and spies. Sounds like the the stress (laughs) I had playing The Sims. Yeah, it's it can be very stressful, but that, I have that stress in my real life. I don't need it in my video game. <laughs> and I and I totally understand. That's what a lot of people say. But if you actually if you sit down and play it, it gets it's it's a it's a red tape simulator, and it's I also oddly have that in my real life. I it's it's oddly <laughs> compulsory, and um, it makes you think about you know what what the stresses of that of you know and turning people away or Can making them, them go through a body scan to see if it says they're male but they look female in their ID, photo id so you do a body scan to see what kind of you know Dude, stuff wow. they have packing and stuff and maybe they've got a gun hidden in there or a bomb or something and it's um it's fascinating and uh, okay so so gone home uh, by the fulbright company you're a young woman, and you're visiting your parents and teen sister. It's uh, it's like the mid '90s, I think, and you're just abroad in Europe. Um, and during that time, uh, your family has moved to another house. So you're coming to this house for the first time, even though your family has been living there for a few months or a year or something. And it's a rainstorm, uh, and it's it's empty. No one is there. You manage to find a key and get in the door, and you go around this big house looking through drawers at papers and stuff. And you piece together what has happened to your parents and your kid's sister. And at different points, you're thinking, are they missing? Have they been taken? Uh, Has something even worse happened to your little sister? And it's all through exploration of the house. And it takes about like, like two or three hours to play through. And it's so engrossing. And I was sitting there playing it on my laptop um, in the dark. And it got really suspenseful because I'm like, what happened to my sister? And um, there's a little bit of light puzzle solving, like you find out that there's like a um, a secret passageway in the house to get into other rooms, and you can only unlock certain parts of the house at certain times once you find a key or whatever. But it's like it's a great storytelling experience, and um, I, I, you know, where is that available? That's um, is that on Steam? You look, you look online for uh, Gone Home. You can play it on a PC or a Mac. Um, wow. But, you know, if you have to have, you know, guns and crazy set pieces, you know, where you're in a mine car or something, you might find it a little bit tedious or boring. But if you're open-minded to it, um, it's a great way to tell a story and, and to uh, get into, into a, an interesting family drama. So, it's, go on uh, home. A, a game that's about a little bit like this called Limbo uh, sort of walked into my life. And you play this kid who is terribly lost in this very dangerous environment. And it's one of those games where the screen comes on and you're just, there's this little shadowy uh, silhouette kid figure, like almost like a Disney cartoon, but very, you know, very subtle and his eyes are blinking and 
you got to get out of this land, and it's all done by touch. This is an iOS game. I think it's on other platforms as well, but I play it on my iPad. And it's one of those things where it's all about the mood and the environment. It's basically, you're, it's a side scroller with a lot of puzzle solving. So you have to move things into place. And, but it's like the type of thing that if you don't solve the problem, the puzzle, and you fall down that pit, well, you get a bear trap and your head is, <laughs> falls off and there's blood everywhere. So it's like you really – it's really jarringly violent and you end, you end up at one point these other like lost boys, kids are coming after you and you figure out all these different ways to make sure that they drown or get chopped in half or squashed. And it sort of spirals out of control like a nightmare. I'm actually stuck on this really, really difficult part. But um, maybe that's the whole point of the game is that you get stuck at this part and that's it. It's a That's limbo for life. Yeah, but it's a it's a terrific game if you appreciate how uh, video games can help tell stories through sound, mood, and a uh, user interface. Uh, it's definitely worth checking out. Called Limbo. Hmm. Okay. Uh, some 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 great platformers came out this year. Uh, the big one for me, Lego Marvel Superheroes. I played a little bit of the Lego games before, and of course they do like Star Wars and Indiana Jones and, and, and uh, Batman and, and DC heroes and stuff. But um, the Marvel superheroes game, it, it feels like they've perfected it. They've sort of they they've found the right formula, and you can play as a gazillion different Marvel superheroes. You go through a, um, some different missions first, where you're either a combination of two or three characters that you might not necessarily see teamed up before like you'll you'll have you know the thing and um iron man and gene gray or something and you go through it and each of them has a different ability and that helps you solve puzzles to get through it um and i'm still even though i've completed the story um i'm still going through the big overworld of of manhattan and uh, unlocking different characters and stuff and saving stan lee from certain peril um so that wow. that's a, that's big but you can play as a little minifig of galactus it's it's great and actually it's it's a it's a kids or all ages game but i had to look up um some some video tutorials to get through certain puzzles because i just couldn't figure them out but wow um it's there if you need it um and then super mario 3d world came out this year um great game design one of the one of the best mario games to come out in a while and uh, rayman legends um it undersells every time it comes out these new rayman games but rayman legends and rayman origins are fantastic platformers where you're you know you're side scrolling as this little I don't know what he is, um, but you're, you know you're going around <laughs> saving little creatures and stuff. It's all hand drawn animation, and it's just lush and beautiful, and um, makes me think of like uh, like you're in a Scotty Young comic book. That's that's what it feels like to me, and um, it just endlessly. I mean, uh, more and more levels pop up, and um, great music. If you if if you've never heard of Rayman, check out the, you can check out the iPhone games. There's Rayman Jungle Run. And Rayman Fiesta Run is the new one, and you need those on your iPhone, or I think they're on Android too. So check nice. them out. That sounds great. So this was a tough year for book reading, and I'm a big book reader. I'm a, I got a lot of books all over my apartment, but yeah, I got stuck on like a couple of long ones, and then you know life comes gets in the way, so I didn't have a ton of books on my list this year that I'd read. But there's a couple in there. Uh, that I really enjoyed. But let's kick things off, uh, Mike, with your yeah. So I'm I. I really like uh, sort of the the fantasy novels. Uh, you know, obviously, I like George R. R. Martin, and and there's a writer called Patrick Rothfuss who yeah. wrote an incredible, great series. The Name of the Wind is the first mm-hmm. one, and uh, if you like that book, um, and and while you wait for the third one to come out, uh, The Lies of Lamora Locke, 
by Scott Lynch really is in the same vein of that writing style, sort of a more modern tone to it, but a really, really nicely wrought uh, civilization, great lived-in history, really cool, funny, good stakes. It's all about a thief, uh, a group of thieves called the gentleman, the gentleman bastards. And I played a lot of D and I'm a big dork. And I used to play a thief all the time, <laughs> and like watching, it's like uh, they're planning a heist. It's like a heist book, but it's all set in sort of medieval times. And there's a little tiny bit of magic, tiny tiny bit. It's all basically chemistry. Um, really great book. Uh, you know, if it's if you don't if you're not reading a fantasy novel, you haven't gotten into that well for a while. Uh, this one caught me off guard. There's a couple of these Gentleman Bastards books, and this is the first one, Liza Lamora Locke. Uh, I, I really think you'll like it. There's a really good audiobook of that, too. Like I guess oh, I've been really? listening to the audiobook, and the guy oh, is cool. really funny. He oh, does excellent. great voices, and oh, it's a great, great performance. Right on. Uh, okay, so Difficult Men by Brett Martin. The full title is Difficult Men Behind the Scenes of a Creative Revolution from the Sopranos and the Wire to Mad Men and Breaking Bad uh, by Brett Martin. And yeah. uh, this is a book all about now difficult men sort of it, – it's, it refers to two things. Um, a lot of antiheroes in, in our great television today, characters like, like Walter White, um, Tony Soprano, Tony Soprano um, Don Draper um, – uh, Vic Mackey on the yeah. Shield, and so that's so that's kind of a, a thing that's sort of um, driving this. Uh, what is he called? Like the second or third golden age of right. television. Yeah. I love this so much, and I was like, Connor and Josh are going to love this. But what so does it I, also refer to? It refers to two it, uh, right. It also refers to, and the main thrust of the book is about the show, the showrunners. So the head writers, the creators of these shows, and all except for one of them. There, or, or well, maybe one or two. No, all but um, two. All but two. All but two are just like monsters. Monsters, divas, out of their minds. Different, um, different, very different versions. So it's of got all the Davids. It's got David Chase, David Simon, David Milch. David Milch is nuts. <laughs> yeah, uh, the guy behind Deadwood. If, and you're, if you're a TV guy, like if you're a girl or a TV fan, and if you you know watch a lot of great TV, this book is a must read. I, I Paul bought me this book. And uh, he already had it. I already had it, so I gave my extra copy to, to Mike to read. Yeah, I'm reading it. It's I couldn't put it down. This book took away sleep for me for yeah. like a month. Um, Ate this up. Josh is reading it right now, um, and he says it's 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 difficult because it makes him look at the shows a different way, like especially The Sopranos. And we were mm. we were talking about this the other day that y- you can see a lot of David Chase working things out. Like his own in the Sopranos, stuff. and he has, and he has that guy has some demons. Wow! And uh, but, it's, but a, it's a fantastic book. But the, the the cool thing is, at the end of it, um, there's a chapter about it's like the happiest uh, writers' room in Hollywood, and it's about Vince Gilligan and Breaking Bad. And uh, I've listened to all the Breaking Bad Insider podcasts, all the you know the the commentaries on the Breaking Bad show, and this just sort of confirms, you know, that that uh, that writers' room must be must have been the best place to work. And the wow. greatest creative well, environment, other than, being in Burbank. Other than yeah. it being in Burbank, but like everybody was was so supportive, and, and Vince jokes. Gilligan seems like a great guy. But um, man, Matt Weiner, just some just, you read some horrible things. But it's not like I don't know, it's not catty. It doesn't feel gossipy. It just it feels 
important it, it, it that we're. It didn't change my perspective because I, I no. assume they're all they're all that way, megalomaniacal, because that's what you kind of have to be to run a show. Yeah, but uh, it, I found it fascinating, endlessly fascinating. I'm just I've always been obsessed with the writers' room and 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 collaborative writing and TV, and I just it, it's sort of like you know I, if my life had gone a different way that that would have been so much fun, but um maybe it wouldn't have. <laughs> so. <laughs> Kind of an interesting companion uh, book to that, really, is Sleepless in Hollywood by Linda Obst. And I'd read uh, Hello, He Lied by Linda Obst before I moved to New York and then, you know, ultimately L.A. And it's a great that's title, a, Hello, He Lied. Hello, He Lied. It's a great book about being a producer, a female producer in Hollywood. And uh, Linda comes wrote this book, and it's it's sort of, you know, it's coming e- right back to it. And it's, it's equal parts depressing, but also... <laughs> yeah. Um, inspiring if you're in the, if you have any desire to work in entertainment and and Mike and I work in entertainment in a certain way and it's and, it's, uh, it's really good reading to really understand just what the hell is going on with making movies in in this world. If you're a movie and, fan, it's depressing. If you're a TV fan, it's it's inspiring because it's, it's yeah. all about the collapse of the movie industry. Why it, it very clearly and easily lays out why every movie is a superhero movie or a prequel or a sequel or a remake. It tells yeah. you in very plain and very easily understood language and, and gives you the back of math to back it up. And then it tells you why all these creative people are moving from movies to TV. Yeah. It's a very interesting read if you're all interested in the climate of Hollywood right now. If, if you're like one of, or thinking about getting into the, you know, the industry of entertainment, it's really required reading. I mean, it's, it's, it's soul searing in a way but you know information you got to have this information because this is not easy stuff and uh it's depressing but in the end of the day look at all the great tv we've got and 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 great work and great art can happen it's just we're in a very different society it's we're in a very different world right now the most depressing part was that page where she listed all the movies that would never get made now it was like classic films it's unbelievable never in a million years get get Uh, that hurts (laughs) yeah it's Uh, incredible yeah Oh, so my turn. Uh, so I, um, one of the super long books that I read this year was The Patriarch, The Remarkable Life and Turbulent Times of Joseph P. Kennedy by David Nassau. Oh, yeah. We got updates on this every once in a while. Yeah. Um, I would give <laughs> Paul and Josh uh, weekly updates on what I was learning about Joseph P. Kennedy. You know, he's, he is uh, sort of one of those mythical figures in American politics. You know, mm. He's John Kennedy's father yeah. and, and Robert Kennedy's father. But you don't, I didn't know much about him other than the, sort of the – the general things you hear, he was a bootlegger, he was a appeaser, he was, you know, the ambassador to to the court of St. James. But I didn't know much about him, and it's a really fascinating look at this guy who wasn't a bootlegger, who was an appeaser in World War II, but for, for a very specific reason, because um, he didn't want his kids to go to war, which any I guess any father could understand, because he knew his kids would. Um, great book. I, I, I literally couldn't put it down, and... It's, it's, a, it's a big book, so it was heavy to carry around all the time. But uh, uh, really interesting man who, you know, the self-made. He was, a, for a while, he was a head of a studio in Hollywood. Wow. Like, he basically did everything you could do. He mm. he was a, the first chairman of the SEC because he was the one who, he knew all the tricks and because he got rich manipulating the stock market, so they brought him in to run it and fix it. Um, wow. It's a, he basically had like five or six careers in his life. He was a bank president. He was a, and he, he you know, and then he was a court of St. James ambassador. And then he would, he did all these things, you know, late in life. And then, uh, unfortunately lived through, lived through his sons, both being murdered. He lived through both of those. Uh, um, wow. but, uh, really, really interesting. And I was really sad when it was over cause I just wanted to continue to continue. I wanted to learn, to follow the, the family more. David Nassau is a really good writer. 
of biography. I've been reading a lot of biographies lately, and it was uh, I put it up there with the Cronkite one, which is my favorite book of last year. Mm. Nice. Okay, so N zero S four A two, or if you sound it out, Nosferatu. Oh, uh, which is, yeah. <laughs> okay, that is the vanity plate on a 1938 Rolls Royce Wraith owned by a guy named Charlie Manx, who's basically the boogeyman. And he comes to collect little kids and take them off to a place called Christmas Land. So great time to that read this awesome. book. Yeah, sounds but like Christmas Land is a terrible, awful oh. place. Um, sort of like title. that place in Pinocchio where kids like get turned into donkeys and shit. That's um, me this, is, this is the latest novel from Joe Hill, one of my favorite writers. Um, Heart Shaped Box, uh, Lock and Key, of course, and Horns. And uh, Joe Hill is the son of uh, Stephen, Stephen King, King uh, new to Twitter. And normally I wouldn't even bring that up, but it's kind of relevant because Nosferatu, he's starting to do a bit of a Stephen King thing where he's connecting his older books mm. uh, into this larger sort of overworld. So uh, you, ha- you have references to Heart-Shaped Box and to uh, Horns. Uh, not necessarily lock and key, but um, and that there's a there's a little girl on the you know the other end of the spectrum uh, named Victoria McQueen, and I don't want to say she has like The Shining or something like that, but she has her own sort of magical ability. She can go through a bridge and end up in a place where she wants to be. Um, that's not necessarily exactly geographically on the other side of that bridge. It sort of takes her where she wants, and um, you know it takes place. In and around Massachusetts. So we're getting into sort of that Stephen King territory. But I think this is sort of his answer to maybe to it um, about having this really scary boogeyman. And it's about nostalgia. It's about imagination, sheer terror. Um, I think Joe Hill is is a fantastic writer and uh, uh, maybe even a bit better than his old man. And uh, I, I think people should, should, should. I mean, you could start here. You could go back and read Horns, which is going to be a movie with uh, with Harry Potter in it. Daniel Radcliffe. Yeah. Um, so check him Harry out. Yeah. <laughs> uh, a book that uh, maybe some of the listeners have heard about. This there, there was a guy named Hugh Howey who had a, a a book called Wool, and he could not get arrested. He could not, nobody would publish this book. Uh, it was a science fiction book, sort of a, a dystopian, end-of-the-world-seeming book. And uh, so he self-published it on iTunes and Amazon, and it was a runaway uh, hit. And I ended up buying the first compilation of the first five books. Each book is about 110, 120 pages. And it was really, really good. And he ended that series in a book called Dust that came out this year. And um, if you haven't read these books, they're eminently readable. They're the kind of books that you – it's the end of the chapter, and the chapters tend to be kind of short. So you always have another – you have a couple minutes to just keep on reading, and then you look at the clock, and it's 2.36. Oh, yeah, because it's it, only a page and a half, so you might, might as well read yeah, that one. And the next running. one's a page, and the next one's two pages, and then you, you're right. Then suddenly it's, it, the sun's coming up. It's, uh, it's really – he's a – you know, they're – I think he's a really uh, – he's a very solid writer. He's very quick. He was able to get these books out pretty quickly. And Dust ends what I think is probably an eight-book series because he uh, – well, there's there's a couple of different things that happen. Uh, he goes to another series. But uh, 
it's a really the dust itself is is a I, it's a good book. It's not his best book, but it's worth mentioning uh, because now, of course, you know now you can buy the book in the bookstores, and now they're going to do a movie of it or a TV series. It's the option, you know. It's a, it's like one of those stories where he knew he had a great story. He figured out how to get it out there, and eventually everybody woke up and started reading this book. And uh, highly recommend it. Great, uh, a great read. And but just don't start with dust. <laughs> start with start with wool. But a uh, really great writer and uh, a really enjoyable science fiction series. I wonder if shorter novels, shorter chapters, is the model for for uh, you know self publishing online. It, it it certainly it it keeps you going. You know what I mean? Because it's just you you get just enough of a crack hit in that three ninety nine purchase that you can't wait. And everybody I know, uh, I was I would be at parties and. At just at one point, everybody was reading this book, and it's and it's um another book called Shift, which is also part of the Wolf series. So really highly recommended you if you liked books like Ready Player One, the same type of thing. It's mm-hmm. a it, that it's not like Ready Player One, but it's like kind of that that world that kind world. kind of thing. Yeah, it's 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 cool. It's it's definitely worth checking out. It's a very very sort of bleak, but um stick with it. It's a very it's cool. All those books together would probably equal the size of the patriarch. Um, I just finished reading The President's Club by Nancy Gibbs and Michael Duffy and it was interesting was that it wasn't what I was expecting at all I saw them interviewed on The Daily Show or maybe it was The Colbert Report I don't remember which one it was but uh, it sounded interesting the way they pitched it was that all the ex-US presidents sort of form a club and they even have a real clubhouse in Washington DC not far from the White House they've got a a townhouse that the government bought for ex-presidents to hang out and they they all have and I thought it was going to be a story about that kind of thing, like you know the clubhouse and how that that works. But really, it was a book about how the the modern era pre- presidents have dealt with the ex presidents who are still alive. And it's I think it started with Wilson and going all the way up through Obama dealing with Clinton and Bush and Carter. So it, it goes comes right up to the current day, and it's a fascinating story if you're into politics at all or history to see how all these like the, the unlikely allies you've got between crossing party lines to um you know people who really hated each other like johnson and nixon nixon basically committing treason which was which was i didn't know about but he he sabotaged a treaty because he didn't want he didn't like it and uh it's really wow. interesting um and you know you see like recently at the mandela funeral people were complaining that you know president bush and president obama were hanging out but these are the guys that are part of the most exclusive club in the history of the world, of the most powerful men, and they all have each other's backs no matter what the – at the end of the day, even guys who hated each other would respect the office enough to have each other's backs. So it's a really interesting look at how that sort of comes about, and uh, I, I, couldn't, I, I, I couldn't be happy with it. So if you're, inter- if you're interested in politics at all, or, and not so much the, not, you know, the, the intricacies of politics, but the, but the people and how they relate to each other, because it really is about that, like the, the personalities and that kind of thing. And they called the President's Club. Really, That's really interesting. good. interesting. Cool. Yeah. cool. Very cool. Uh, I'm a big Johnny Cash fan. Uh, so I read Johnny Cash, The Life. Actually, I'm, I'm kind of still pecking away at it, but I'm most of the way done. By Robert Hilburn. Um, and this is important because there, there's a Johnny Cash. Johnny Cash did, you know, an autobiography. But Johnny Cash, Johnny Cash stretches the truth. <laughs> he kind of fibs a He's bit. He's a storyteller. He's a storyteller, and they talk about this here that he – I think he said at some point that um, he never let the truth ruin a good story. Um, so this, this is but – but Johnny Cash led a really interesting life. Uh, of course, you know, you know his, his brother 
who was a huge influence on him, died at a very young age. And if you, if you saw the James Mangold movie, um, you know that his, you know, his, there's, it's an, apparently his father um, went to him and said, you know, you're the one who should have died. Yes. And, you know, that, that, what, are, what are those relationships like? And, and um, so a, a very interesting family life, very interesting. Before he, you know, you know blew up as a singer, he was, he was uh, in, during the Korean War, during the Cold War, he was uh, a radio intercept guy. Yeah. Um, he actually li- he, he listened to the, the radio transmissions from the Soviets, and then he, he, did, he wasn't a code breaker, but he would transcribe the stuff. And this is apparently a really high-stress job where guys would, like, get up, and they would uh, like run into walls and like keep banging their heads into the walls. And the guy's like, "What's what's the matter with you?" And he's like, "I can't find the door." And huh. <laughs> they would direct him to the door. Like guys would go nuts doing this for multiple hours a day. And uh, but you know, and then you, of course you get into to his his music career. Um, I love his music. I I he had you know like a a great opening act, and you know the, of course the prison concerts. And then going, you know, into old age and doing covers of, you know, Trent Reznor songs. Um, just a fascinating life and uh, really well written. So uh, if, if, if you love the Johnny Cash, check out Johnny Cash, The Life. Very, very cool. Uh, I don't usually, I don't read a lot of quote unquote self-help books, but I had heard uh, these guys, Phil Stutz and Barry Michaels on a, a podcast. And these guys are therapists who work in Hollywood and they basically would hear the problems and struggles of actors, writers, producers, directors, and they came up with these ways of, uh, of helping people break through creatively or getting rid of bad habits. And they, re- and they ended up creating these things called the tools. And the book is called The Tools, Five Tools to Help You Find Courage, Creativity, and Willpower and Inspire You to Live Life in Ford. It's a very long title. It sounds very touchy-feely. It sounds kind of ridiculous. Uh, but um, it's actually really interesting. And, and, you know, for each tool, they have these stories that sort of show why they developed the tools, sort of show how people used them, um, showed how people were able to get beyond these sort of roadblocks in their life and uh, sort of show the results. And even... Even tells you why you'll end up not using the tools because of just human nature, and it's just it's a really interesting read. And if sometimes you feel like you're getting overwhelmed, or you feel sort of stuck in your career, or you just need that extra boost, this book is actually really, really useful and uh, helps you think about things a little bit of a different way. And especially people living in creative in the creative industry, you're on your own. And it, not everybody can afford these kinds of therapists, right? So <laughs> this kind of advice uh, and these kinds of ways of looking at challenges in your life, whether it's like I can't finish a script or I'm not getting any acting work, whatever those things might be, uh, you know, everybody feels these ways, whether or not you're in, in, you're in entertainment or not. We all have these kinds of challenges in our lives. And once in a while, a book sort of floats into your life that goes that, uh, that uh, you end up reading. And, and this one was that book for me. And uh, really, really interesting stuff. And um, I don't use the tools all the time. I've actually forgotten most of them. I should <laughs> really go read them again. They warned me that this would happen. But um, They were right. You, they were right, goddammit. But if you know, if you... If you know people who are in the, uh, the who are trying to do something different with their lives or what need that extra push, uh, this is actually really a really great book. So I, I can I can recommend it. 
So now let's move on to the Ron Richards Memorial music segment. He's already shaking his head. He's already shaking his head. I got one I know. Tisk, tisk, tisk. So you guys, let's start. Let's get rolling on this. You go, Paul. Okay, uh, Tegan and Sarah, Heartthrob. I've been a big Tegan and Sarah fan uh, going back like 10 years. I can't even remember. Like the first song I heard from them was Monday, Monday, Monday. Um, and it's like I, it's funny because my uh, my my favorite December song or my first December song was July July. So I like words repeated apparently. <laughs> um, but anyways, they came up with an album called Heartthrob, which is very cool. It benefits from it being like their their seventh album in sort of like ten years. Um, but also their really youthful voices because it's this really subversive like pop love album, and a lot of the promotional stuff is like posters of. Um, heartthrobs up on the wall and stuff and uh, what I like about this is you could layer this over any John Hughes movie and it would just be kind of like a perfect soundtrack um, I, hear, I heard it in an Old Navy at one point it's, it's, it's a great album, it's uh, really catchy um, but also really intelligent too um, oh my next again yes. okay, Nine Inch Nails Hesitation Marks uh, I, I kind of came to Nine Inch Nails by way of just Trent Reznor's scores, I wasn't you know Historically, a Nine Inch Nails guy, I was, I was probably scared of Nine Inch Nails, um, but uh, I loved you know the, the social network and uh, um, Girl with the Dragon Tattoo scores that he did, and um, with Atticus Ross, and and so Nine Inch Nails might be a bit more of the same in terms of uh, or hesitation marks might be a bit more of the same for fans of the older stuff, but to me it's sort of like new, and uh, I, I can listen to this while I'm writing. Um, sometimes I write angrier adjectives, but, uh, but overall, uh, it's a great album, I thought. Okay, so music was weird for me. I, I, I listened to lots and lots of different types of music, um, and I've also been equally interested in how people are marketing and building up hype for music, um, at least this year with Daft Punk's Random Access Memories. I think it's a good album. I, I, I enjoy it, but I, I ended up enjoying watching the videos about the people who made uh, the album, even, mm -hmm. ju even more so. Uh, it's really Vice. disco, right? It's really disco. It's got some great artists on it. Uh, if you look up, uh, go on YouTube and you look up for, uh, there's, if you just look up Random Access Memories, you'll see these videos at Vice and Intel. Vice Magazine and Intel did these videos all about the different people uh, who are part of this album, and it's terrific. There's a there's a couple really great tracks, including uh, Paul. Who is it? The Paul Wilson kid, Paul Wilson guy, who was, used to be a fixture of the '70s. Um, he came back on uh, on this album. I think it's Paul Wilson, whoever it is. But uh, it, it's a it's. I think it's a it's was definitely the album of the year for a lot of people because just because it got so much hype. Um, and in this case, I thought it was kind of cool. They went they went really non-techie they really got us yeah, paul williams uh they got really back to basics they used period uh original equipment uh what was amazing is that they ended up doing stuff with different kinds of djs all kinds of different artists um and it's it's you know, I would go stream it if you, obviously you've you've heard some of the singles, but I, I did enjoy the album. I thought it was a little bit overrated, but um, overall, I thought it was uh, definitely worth it, ch worth checking out if, if you like that kind of stuff. And then, my turn, uh, my turn yeah. again. Uh, Janelle Monet, Electric Lady. Janelle Monet yeah. is sort of like concept albums without them being too 
conceptual. Like, I mean, she's got this overarching theme where, you know, like androids and clones in the future. And there's some interludes. So, you know, great songs with like Erica Badu. Um, and then you get then you get like these interludes where it's a radio station and, and it's sort of a call in radio and people talking about like ro- like androids rights and, you know, clones and, and like an uprising and stuff and the arch android, this, you know, fabled, you know, messiah of the android class and, and stuff. And it's really funny. It's really well put together. I love like her exuberance, just a yeah. great, she's smart perfect. pop album. And she's a wonderful voice. Um, I think she, I think she'd be a great doctor who at some point. Yeah, no, um, she's terrific. Fantastic. I love I love what she and Bruno Mars are kind of doing with music, bringing mm-hmm. back sort of that sort of old, older era. Uh, really fun fun to dance to. I, I play Janelle Monae all the time. Mm-hmm. Uh, and oh, then that's you were talking about Chaverches, Chaverches or Churches with a V where the U should be. Um, this Jamie McKelvey has been yammering about churches for for the longest time before they were a thing, maybe even before that. And um, they're a great Scottish group. Um, it's a trio. Um, Lauren Mayberry does most of the vocals. There's a dude does some of the vocals. Not so into that, but <laughs> but her stuff is great. Um, she again, she has sort of like a you know a youthful voice, but very you know very powerful. Um, and I I love the spelling. <laughs> <laughs> with the yeah. V in there, um, and a lot of great things come out of Scotland. Um, but anyways, I, I I think a lot of people are talking about the, that album this year. And this is something I listened to this like on the train going home, and I just float all the way there. It's a uh, it's you know very relaxing um, without putting you to sleep. But uh, a great great album. Uh, very. So I DJ a lot. I've been DJing for far too long, probably about 20 years. And I do a lot of different kinds of music, but, uh, sort of my head is kind of in sort of the house music for lack of a better term. And, um, if you do like that kind of music, um, Defected has released some amazing compilations in the ho- it's, it's the house masters compilations on iTunes and you're getting tracks uh, you're getting like 32 tracks for $10, and uh, if you like dance music from the 90s and and or and and beyond 90s 80s, uh, that if you've ever went out during that era, all all of the tracks, Chocolate Puma, all these uh, uh, Merc, they're these incredible compilations, and uh, they're a real great, so almost uh, archaeology of of this kind of music, and cool. well well worth checking out if you ever. Uh, like the four by four beats, and uh, uh, something I'm going a little bit off script, but another album that I've been enjoying is uh, D- Every- Disclosure is everywhere right now, and I've been playing the crap out of a track called Latch from the uh, settle uh, the album called Settle. So uh, really interesting time for music, obviously, but uh, so much you could talk about. But uh, I think I, I think wish I had the vocabulary to talk about music. I've done one music review in my life. People have tough. asked me, "Have you ever reviewed music?" It's so hard. It's hard. Um, yeah. It's easier to talk about like concept albums, I guess. But um, yeah. no, I just I like what I like, and I like a lot yeah. of different things. But just, exactly. I thought it was a good year for music. Yeah. All right, so let's end the year talking about some comics we loved. Uh, we are obviously do our weekly Fanboy Pick of the Week podcast where we go through the comics of the week. But we also on this show like to highlight our favorite books of the year. So these are our, our quick rundown on our some of our favorite books. Obviously, this is not all of our favorite books. We had to limit it again by the number of books, but uh, some of our favorites for the year. Starting off for me with Batman, Scott Snyder, Greg Capullo are telling the Zero Year story right now, and it was it's an audacious thing to go back and do the origin again, especially when the one that's out there in year one is so iconic. But yeah, 
I think that they're doing a really great job of telling it in a new and interesting way. You know, it's uh, not the Bruce Wayne you are used to, the crew, the military crew cut, and this, and the, the attitude's a little different. And I, I really enjoy them sort of piecing together uh, this New Fifty Two Batman's origin. I like the inclusion of the Riddler, and it's all sort of coming to head at, at a, in a big way. And Capullo's doing a fantastic job. It still remains one of my fa- yeah. you know top five favorite superhero books every month, and I get excited when it comes out. Absolutely, absolutely. Um, so for me, it was it was a real treat to be invited to be on the podcast a, a few months ago because it forced me to uh, rediscover Thor, God of Thunder. Uh, for me, um, one of the most fun times I've had reading a book this year. Uh, incredible art. Uh, Jason Aaron just captured uh, the the epicness, uh, the humor, uh, the emotional highs and lows of Thor in a way that I, you know, I know that the Walt Simonson run is supposed to be amazing. I have that big ass book. I have not read it, but for me, this is probably the best Thor I've ever read. I certainly mm-hmm. just uh, really felt when I think about this year, I think about what, the books that I loved. I've never loved a Thor book, and this really was it for me. Um, the, the, that first arc, that 11 issue arc, was amazing. I fanboy series of 2013. Yes. Yeah, we agree with it. Esad Rivik, man, crazy. Uh, Star amazing. Wars, Star Wars Legacy. Uh, awesome. Karina Becco and Gabriel Hardman uh, doing the same thing that they sort of did with uh, Planet of the Apes, which is showing up everybody who's tried to do expanded universe stuff in a beloved franchise. And uh, this is, you know, a, a long time, long, long time after the events of, uh, or like the Battle of Yavin, I guess, is, <laughs> is the yeah. touchstone. But uh, this is a, a descendant of, uh, of um, Princess Leia and Han Solo. And having her own adventure, she's, she's, uh, she's working in a junkyard. She discovers a lightsaber. It's a great hero's journey. She's got a buddy who's a Mon Calamari character, like Admiral Akbar, And uh, it's a lot of political intrigue. Um, and and Gabe has a great hand. All, the way he draws those ships, yeah, <laughs> he's yeah, so incredible. good at drawing the Star incredible. Wars stuff. Great incredible. Book. Now, Afterlife with Archie was a book that Paul and I were very excited for. When oh, they first announced God, I'm it. so glad you remembered to put this. And on now it's too. only two issues in, but I have to mention it as one of my favorite books of the year. It is um, astounding in many ways. First of all, it's it's got a great creative team and Roberto uh, Guerra Sagasa as the as the um, writer and Francisco Francavilla as the artist. Uh, oh. it's, a, it's a wonderful looking book. Uh, and if you if you're reading it in paper, it's 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 got a great texture to it. Yep. The uh, cardstock covers and the papers a little. Oh really? Oh cool. Not glossy. Paper. It's it's an event. It's. You know. um, but uh, the the way that they're handling a zombie story in the Archie world, it's playing it completely straight. It's dark. It's violent. It's a little adult in the in some of the sexuality. Uh, I'm really really impressed with the way they are allowing these creators and they I mean Archie Comics allowing them yeah. to take these. Seminal, you know, iconic American comic book characters who are, who live in that safe little bubble of Riverdale, and uh, doing really horrible things to them, but not in a way that feels exploitative. <laughs> no, not at, at all. all. No. It feels very organic and very loving. It just so happens they're going through a terrible experience. And, so, uh, I've said it once, I say it a million times. Archie Comics is the most delightfully progressive comics publisher in the game. Yep, that's awesome. Poor that's fantastic. Awesome. Poor Jughead. Y- you know. Um, I just I can't I had to put Saga on this list. I I I know it probably reads better in trades, but for every every time this comes out, I'm just happy. Um, I haven't been reading nearly as many of these comics as I used to. Um, and what's amazing is like there's so many good comics on this list. But uh, for me, it's just having Brian K. Vaughn back in my life, even a little bit once in a while. Uh, it's just great, and it's it's 
it's science fiction. It's got family. It's got humor. It's got sex. It's just it's a terrific book. Uh, the art is incredible. Um, it's just a treat. It's like it's it's just a, a wonderfully consistent book for me, and I'm just really enjoying it. Uh, the surprise at the tail end of 2013, Action Comics with Greg Pak and Aaron Cooter. Yes. Art. Um, have you been reading this? We've only had I two issues so one. far in this no, one. I, I read the first one, and I was like, holy crap, I might yep. be buying action again. The second one was my uh, last pick of the week of the year, and wow. um, it gives me such such hope for, for Action Comics in 2014. I think they're off great. to a, a rollicking good start. They know Superman. Greg Pak has a great handle on the internal monologue of Superman. Uh, a really interesting take on Lana Lang. And, um, yeah, I mean, it it's was not it's been, angry it's, Superman. It's not. Yeah. I, I, I mean, it, it, it's like we're it's still like, going to get some of that in 2014 with, you know, right. uh, other DC books. But, um, I think that it's been a, it's been a roller coaster year for Superman this year. Um, I was not a huge fan of Man of Steel. This, oh, um, oh. this is hope for 2014. Oh God. Um, <laughs> we, we mentioned, uh, you just now I'm picturing. Why you gotta st- never talk? Never mention that movie, Paul. Um, we you guys loved it. Apparently, stop it. Podcast just stop I it. Listen to no. Stop if you stop recall, it. it's very measured, very, uh, very. And now, uh, now you should see it. We won't. We, Connor, we won't even let the movie into his house. No. Um, no, it's not good. So no, you have, if it's if it's on your phone, you leave it in the post office bo- or the or the the mailbox outside. Then you can come in my house. It does not go in my house. <laughs> no, no, no. So we we mentioned that Lazarus was the com- publisher of the year this year at iFanboy. We uh, on our sh- on our show two weeks ago, and you'll you'll notice a lot of image books on this list. And uh, Lazarus, one of my favorites, from Greg Rucka and uh, and Michael Lark, telling the tale of a future world in which the society's broken down on financial lines and a couple of really Rich and powerful families run society, and uh, tell the story of the Lazarus, which is the genetically engineered uh, p- protector of each of each family. And this, this Eugenics. Partic- this particular Lazarus uh, is uh, is really interesting. It's just it's Greg Rucka telling really cool sci-fi future tale, and uh, you know it's great world building, fantastic back matter that that expanded the world out and. It's just it's such a such a good comic. Someone should talk to him about the science behind that book and Somebody do an should interview, do an interview with him about over it. at CBR on, called Sunday Conversations. Check it out. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, I, it, it seems ludicrous that a book drawn by Marcos Martin and uh, written by Brian K. Vaughan would not be on this list, and so I'm happy to put it there. Um, Came out of I, nowhere. I just I uh, I'm really enjoying this book. I love I love the conceit What's of the it called, world. Mike? Oh, sorry, the private eye. It's so so secret, but um, it's the Beyonce of comics. It's so cool and just um, I you know it's I'm just having a blast with it. Uh, it's 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 well worth whatever you're willing to pay for it. And the, I love the art. I love that it's really just talks about society and post internet and mm-hmm. it's just it's just cr- it's crazy. The it's cloud. a crazy little book and. It's, I love the commitment to the form. They're not publishing it in paper form. It's only digital only book. You, yeah. know, you only get it that way. Um, and it's, it's widescreen wide screen and it's, wide screen only. And it comes out when it's ready. And I like, I yeah. like the commitment to all that. It's a nice little treat. And uh, um, kudos to them for sticking with it. Uh, another book from Image, Satellite Sam. Uh, this is a book that, like Difficult Men, made me feel closer to my brothers, Josh and Connor. Uh, <laughs> I was like, they're going to love this book. Eat it up with a spoon. Black and white. Good shaking. Good, great shaking. Good oh, shaking. Good. Great oh, shaking. Uh, 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 by uh, Matt Fraction, and it's it's a book. It's a murder mystery, but it's also a story about live broadcast television making a show called Satellite Sam. 
Uh, oh sounds year, great. What year is it? It's the fifties. It's, it's the golden it's the 50s. age. It's, it's, yeah, it's, the, it's the dawn of yeah, in New York. It's, and uh, and when she, when that one when that woman steps out onto into, into Manhattan, yeah. God, and it just it just opens up. It's who's um, got a TV rights for this man. That sounds terrific. It's, uh, the, you know the star of a show called Satellite Sam on a, on a cheap network that you know a live show gets murdered and uh, it's so the the dual story of the murder and also the network trying to. You know, live its network life with this dead star. Uh, it's really, really good. Not for not for everybody, but or if, children. Um, no, not for children. But but you know, and it's uh, no. If if you ever had to take a TV production class, I think you'll appreciate the high stress <laughs> of of this world. Yeah, Rod, Wonder Woman. You know, it's it's a book that gets lost a bit in, in all these other great books that that keep, that make a splash and gets yeah. everyone's attention. But Wonder Woman's, you know. Rolls along as one of the best comics out there. Brian Azzarello, one of the few original creators left standing from the New 52. And <laughs> pretty much the same art team of Cliff Chang. And uh, who's the, who are the Cliff? Is, who's the other artist that fill in? Anyway, Cliff Chang and his fill-in artist is pretty much the same team that's been going on for two plus years now. Wow. Telling his uh, very Vertigo-esque tale of Wonder Woman and her, her Olympian pantheon family. And uh, it, it, you know, it's it's a book that doesn't have the fanfare of a lot of these other ones, but it's still a great comic. And Cliff Chang does a wonderful Wonder Woman, and Brian Azzarello's story is so self-contained. It just it feels like it's a different thing going on within DC. So you you hand me a book called Sex, and uh, little did I know that I would be blown away by it for a completely surprising reason. This uh, Conrad recommended it. Uh, it's it's Joe Casey. Who's the artist? Peter. Kowalski, Kowalski. Yeah. Um, it's what happens when basically a character like Batman quits being a hero, and how do you how do you how do you live in the city that you spent so much of your life protecting, and and how do you can you adjust to no, quote unquote normal life, and what and and that's kind of the, the story of it. It's a it's a really great book. I it's not an action book like uh, Connor and I were talking about the other day, but. It, it's a really thoughtful meditation on what it's like to stop being a hero and, uh, and, and watching everything sort of fall apart and trying to redefine yourself. And it's cool. It's, it's a story that uh, is, is wonderfully surprising. And there's a great trait of it that I just read that brings you right up to date. Um, it's by Image Comics. And uh, what's the trade called? <laughs> it's called Sex. No, but there's like a subtitle that's like uh, oh, the summer of hard. Yeah, isn't that what it is? <laughs> yeah, that's awesome. It's well, one it's man's a- psychological war with himself. He's you know he's yeah. he he's no longer capable of living in the real world, and the sex part comes from the fact it's sort of the symbol is that he he can't have sex. Yeah, he just can't. And no matter how many nubile blondes appear before him, and there are a lot, really uh, he cannot do it because he's got all these other problems going. That's a really interesting drama. It's twisted and crazy, and not for everybody, but uh, it's cool. It's a, it, it, it's a, I can't. I'm gonna pick it up in uh, issues now because this trade really blew me away. Mm. Ah, whoops. <laughs> <laughs> my uh, my favorite uh, event uh, this year, up until the very very end, and I think Connor will agree with me on this. Um, Battle of the Atom, um, which sort of uh, in a way it was an under the radar Marvel event. And it all spins out of a great series in, or a great couple of series, all new X Men and Uncanny X Men, um, by Brian Michael uh, Bendis. Amazing X Men too, which came out of yeah, 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 and and yeah, and um, there's, I mean, so it's mostly Bendis and Jason Aaron working on this one, and Brian Woods in there a little bit. Wow. Um, 
hear about so it was this. a bit you know it was sort of a, you know it was the x-men book or it was the x book crossover of the year and it's about it's it's you know the ultimate past future present tense x-men story all these characters colliding it gets a little unwieldy towards the end and they didn't quite stick the landing but i i thought this was so much fun and this was sort of the year that i really got into the x-men uh, just in time for uh, Ron to exit the show and and me to come in. <laughs> well, so it's good. Luckily, we didn't drop the extra ball. We've been yeah, we didn't. We didn't drop. And it, I mean, not just me. And you know, yeah, Con- all, Josh and Connor have been enjoying it as well. We've we've talked about that, being sort of astonished how much we've liked the X Men lately. Um, that is shocking. That's awesome. It is. Mm-hmm. They're really great books. The line's really strong right now. Great. Mm-hmm. Put Daredevil in the same category as Wonder Woman in the in that it's a book very often overshadowed. It's I think two years ago it was sort of the darling of the comic industry. It won all the Eisner's. Yeah. Totally. But it's still as good. It's still, and I would say, not falling off any, in any way. No. Like, I would say, I would reluctantly say Hawkeye was falling off a little bit. I would, it would have definitely uh. made this list last year. Um, just delays and things. I, I just not into the stories I was. But Daredevil continues to roll on as one of the best books uh, every month. The, the work that Wade and Somni are doing on that comic, the world, the world not the world they've created, but the world that they've built. The, the, the new side characters, the relationship between Matt and Foggy, Foggy's cancer fight, all that stuff has been utterly engrossing. Amazing. It's one of my favorite subplots of the year. It's yeah, because it's of how affecting it is and yeah. how honest it is. Yeah, yeah. it's really, story. really astonishing. Mark Wade, you know, he comes in and says, "All you youngins, I can still." <laughs> he's, he's writing the fuck out I'm, of that book. It's I'm still awesome. one of the best writers in comics, and so he does totally. it every month with Daredevil and his other books. Um, I really was really excited uh, to hear that Paul Pope was coming out with a book this year and uh, pre-ordered Battling Boy. And uh, I'm a huge. I'm just Paul named Pope a man fan. of the year. Big big year for Paul Pope. <laughs> ah, <laughs> oh, where's the rim oh. shot button? But um, uh, you know, I I, re- I enjoyed the book. I don't think it's his best work, uh, but I just I love his art and I love his tone and I love the worlds that he builds. He draws crazy beasts. It's basically about um, a young uh, hero uh, who's, you know, his fa- basically his father is a god and he turns, I think it's 12 or 13, and he gets thrown down to a planet and he's going to go protect that planet by Jim. And this planet is uh, it's sort of infested with these huge, crazy monsters and there's these gangs and it's, it's just a, it just throws you right into the action. It's definitely ish, uh, book one of several, uh, definitely sort of stops right out of the blue there's no introduction there's no conclusion uh there's no backup matter it's just this this kid's superhero book and it's it's not for kids but um it's about this kid and uh it's a great lived-in universe and cool characters and i'm just scared it's going to take years for the next one to come out (laughs) makes me kind of sad it's a little like commandy a little bit um oh yeah yeah sort of like like i don't know like a ya kind of Sure. Um, Oh, and The Wake. Uh, It's interesting because DC just just sent along uh, a little, not quite a trade, a a little collection of the first five issues, which is part one. We discovered recently uh, of this, this, is it? 12 part series? 10 or or 12, yeah. Yeah, it's it's, so it's sort of like a maxi series. And and this kind of like the end of this, this five issue little chapter sort of like really struck us um, that. Oh man, there's the like the the next thing is going to be a game change, sort of like with the Good Wife, you know, like there's a bit of a game change. This is this is Scott Snyder and um, Sean Murphy. artist Sean Murphy. Excuse me, this is Scott Snyder and Sean Murphy. Um, 
also top of their game, I think. Um, doing some science fiction, very much in the vein of Alien and Aliens, um, with mer creatures and a team of of scientists who don't quite get along. And I I, I loved it from the get go that it's this this tense sort of group of 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 outcasts who don't quite like each other and facing weird underwater creatures who can you know c- create these like mirages these illusions to to lure you into into their jaws and um you don't get a lot of this anymore it's like it feels like something that would be in like like creepy or eerie one of those yeah magazines. it feels like an old school horror science fiction horror comic uh, so, Mike, for, Mike so for it to really be an extended, it. so for it to be a really like an extended series, it's uh, it's really something special, and I'm excited for this next chapter, which takes us far into the future. Yeah, so. is that a, it's, is there a trade of this? There is that they it's not it, it's 9.99. It's like it's not a full trade, but it's five issues. Okay, cool. So that should be coming out this week, I think. Right on. Yeah. So now we'd like to end the show talking about sort of our favorite people working in comics right now. And this could be for any reason, just some you know, the person we want to highlight the most is, is one of the best people working in comics right now. And I, I'm going to start it off with my uh, artist of the year I talked about a couple weeks ago, Chris Somney on Daredevil. And it's not yeah, just right. for his comics work, which is stellar, but it's also for just the work he does. He puts out into the world. If you follow him on Instagram or Twitter, which I suggest you do because he puts oh, a lot man, of art Instagram. up there. <laughs> oh. He does these amazing daily sketches. Which are you know for him? You never get tired of the, like the, the frequency is crazy, fully, but I've, fully pen and ink you know done and, and you know for his work it's all negative space and, and yeah he he puts out just amazing work every day on Instagram but also his work on Daredevil you know just a full on world building he does there's no page that's skimped on you never feel cheated yeah you, know, you get these lived in backgrounds and you know I I just picture Scott uh, not Scott who is Scott Scott Snyder I guess uh, I picture uh, <laughs> Matt Murdock and Foggy Nelson looking the way he draws them you know yeah. I'd be thrilled if he drew a Batman book I'd be thrilled if he drew Superman he also he did that Superman digital story earlier mm-hmm. um, just I'll take as much Chris Somney as he will give and uh, he can draw everything as far as I can. oh he did that the first Adventures of Superman story yes. yeah remember that Jeff Parker yes yeah such awesome. a great take on Superman he put he, he put out one of his daily sketches was so the, uh, good. Was the was a Batman, Batgirl, and old Robin sketch, and I made it my iPad background, and I showed it to Mike, and I was like, I would buy this book immediately. Uh, yeah. Oh, totally. Uh, great, great artist. Uh, speaking of uh, people whose books you buy immediately, for me, it's I guess it's sort of simple, easy, and sort of uh, you know predictable. But uh, Brian K. Vaughn just has. It's so great just to have him back as a writer, obviously uh, writing comics and. Uh, it's just it's nice to be able to talk about a BKV book and have it be as good as you hoped it would be. Oh, I know that two of them. You get two of them, yeah. So it's 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 great. You know, it's it's kind of like oh, I remember the days. You know, that we would talk about Brian K. Vaughn all the time, and now we can do it again. So it's a it's a it's a real gift. Uh, there's so many great people doing comics right now, so it's really hard to. I I really struggled with this, but the only the reason I ranked it this way is because. He really made me excited about comics whenever I saw his book on my iPad or, or you know, or in my email when it, when people would tell me when I would get notified that Private Eye was out. So he kept me coming back for more. But you know, lots and lots of great people in comics. So he just came to mind immediately. Uh, this one was immediate for me as well, and I'm going to list off some titles, and they're going to keep on going. Uh, Nowhere Men, Manhattan Projects, Adventures of Superman, Deadpool, Captain Marvel, Tom Strong and the Planet of Peril, Zero, Mara, Pretty Deadly, Quantum and Woody 3, The Massive, Comeback, Journey into Mystery, The Rocketeer miniseries, 
Uh, linking all those together, Jordi Belair. Um, the she would have been faster listing what she didn't pick color this year. Yeah, really, really. Um, just an amazing colorist. Um, I, w- I wish I was articulate enough to explain just what I love about those colors, but so, just such such vibrancy and um, smart color choices. Uh, the one I think of is Manhattan Project mm-hmm. um, and just limiting that color palette. Yeah. Um, and for the color to actually have meaning. And um, if you follow her on Twitter, such such a like a fun effervescent person as well. Just um, really upbeat and um, and 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 pretty fierce and won't back down either. Um, like I mean, there was there was a big big controversy talking about um, colorists at at conventions. Yeah. And should they get you know sort of equal colorists footing? Colorists are still the lo- sort of lost members of the. Creative teams, you know the uh, and yeah, and I think she she's done a lot to put colorists on the map, and people start to look at color more. And I hope that you know um, by continuing to to follow her and and what she does on Tumblr with showing the color palette of of a movie, um, sort of learning about the science behind it and being able to to better appreciate and. Um, and verbalize what I like about color, and um, so it's a, it's a it's a learning experience. But she's she's been on so many amazing books, and it's uh, I mean I don't think I even you know that that's the tip of the iceberg that list I gave you. So, so those are three of the best people working in comics right now. But the, there are I I could make this list twenty long. There's so many great people working in comics right now. These are just three of three of our best. Best is sort of in quotation marks. I mean, there's obviously a lot more than three, mm-hmm. but those are three we wanted to highlight. And that was the year in 2013. Head over to ifanboy.com. You can comment on this show. Tell us what your favorite stuff in TV and film and books and music and whatever, comics. What else do we talk about? I don't remember. Yell, yeah, yell at us what we missed. Tell us what we missed. Tell us what else you love this year. Go to ifanboy.com. You can, and you can follow all the action at twitter.com slash ifanboy and facebook.com slash ifanboy. That's where we put up the pick of the week every week before the show comes out so you know what to check out before the show hits. And, uh, and thanks you for everyone who visited this year, this year of uh, change. An yeah. evolution. It was a difficult year, but we appreciate everyone who stuck with us. Yep. Um, so you can email us at contact at ifanboy.com or leave a voicemail at one eight 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 fanboys That's 326-2697 with any questions, comments, concerns, discussion topics, all that jazz. And if you dig us, write us a review in iTunes or you better yet tell your friends about us. Introduce your mom, your dad, your aunt, your uncle to podcast. Your agent, your manager. Your agent, please get me some work. <laughs> Spread the iFanboy cheer. So that's it for this week's show. That's it for 2013. Thank uh, you, Paul and Mike, for coming on the show. You're very first. Fun. Uh, this is fun. This is fun. Very intimidating. I've been excited show. about this all year. Yeah, I, is, uh, I've been doing it standing up the whole time. So really? I've been doing some back bends during the music part portion of the segment. Oh, wow. and things, uh, nice. I have too much coffee and I'm sweating in the bad place. <laughs> so, so, thank um, you for coming on the show. Thank you, everyone who listened. Thank you, everyone who listened to the sh- uh, our, any of our shows this year. Thank you, for everyone who visited the <laughs> website. Thank you for everything, everyone. Until next year, I'm Connor. I'm Paul. And I'm Mike. Bye. See you next year. The holiday together in the crowd When the year is through Gonna be with you as we count those numbers